Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the Internet Movie Database's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Grace. Charlene. And I'm Andrew. And this week we're talking about number 241 on the list, Orson Welles' 1958 film noir classic, Touch of Evil. Touch of Evil. Yeah, that's it. Thank you very much, Andrew. <laughs> um, and joining us, uh, we decided I, to ask... I, I... I, I do like to, because generally that follows with a large pause. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> we're very afraid of dead air here on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, so we were discussing Touch of Evil, and to help us discuss that, we decided we'd invite back Grace and Charlene. So hi, guys. Hi. Thank you oh, for hello. inviting us back. Ah, our pleasure. So Touch of Evil, had you guys seen it before? I hadn't. Anyway. I'd seen it many years ago, probably in college, I think. And Andrew, had you seen it before? I had not. Uh, yeah. This was my first uh, watching. This is an interesting one, because this is something that we've discovered myself and Andrew while we were doing uh, the 250, is that there are lots of different versions of movies that we tend to watch. And in particular, when a movie is on the list, it's very hard to tell which particular version of the movie is actually on the list. We discovered that with Leon, I think, was our... And Darren, when you say interesting... <laughs> Of interest to of... people like me. Yeah. I, I find it interesting. Andrew just finds it disheartening when he wants to watch Leon and watches the international cut. And he's yeah. like, this is a lot creepier than I remember it being. This is very oh. European. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is far more European than I very European cut. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it, it is worth giving a bit of context for Touch of Evil. Because Touch of Evil was, uh, as we mentioned before, it's, it's an Orson Welles film from 1958. Uh, but it is a movie that has had a very controversial and checkered history. Um, it is regarded. It was regarded as something of a failure when it was initially released in terms of critical reception. It was regarded financially as not a massive earner for Universal Studios, although it was successful enough that it remained in circulation in cinemas until 1969. Um, it, lo- it was released as part of a double bill, a double feature, uh, but it and, and long outlasted the other half of that double feature. Which, which was? The other half of that double feature was... To the Fact Machine, four yeah. in a row. Four in a row. Four in a row. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so it was It was literally, it, it was a B-movie. It was released as part of a double feature with the female animal. The female animal. Which I think everybody here recognises, and it's obviously made a massive imprint on pop culture. But it is a movie that was famously, um, he, Heston, sorry, not, not Heston, Wells shot it. Um, and the studio ended it. There's some controversy over Wells edited the film, the studio's edited the film, the chronology of that, but basically Universal Pictures tried to slice it down into a way that they thought would be accessible for audiences, which Wells was not best pleased with, which we'll get to in a moment, um, and basically released it, and it sort of had this weird thing where American critics weren't very fond of it, and European critics, who are, uh, you know, perhaps maybe a bit more auteur-centric and sort of like deferential and, you know, interested in things that don't really have conventional plots. We're like, this movie that's been released is a masterpiece of American cinema. So it, it had this sort of weird reputation where it sort of existed as a movie that was beloved by a certain type of cinephile, but hadn't quite sort of seeped into the popular consciousness in a way that obviously Citizen Kane had to pick another Wells example, the big Wells example. Um, And the thing is that in 1998, uh, the critic Jonathan Rosenbaum uh, was interviewing, I believe, Charlton Heston and discovered a memo that Wells had written on attending a test screening of Universal's cut of his movie, the one that was released in cinemas. And Wells, being who he was, had some feedback for them. So he proceeded to write a 58-page memo outlining every single cut, music cue, transition, 
trim, addition, and removal from the version of film that they had premiered that he would have made and that he would like them to restore. And actually, if you read some of the passages, we'll include them in the show notes, there's a lot of very reasonable argument from Wells. It's just like, try it. Just, just, just try it. Just like, just cut these 10 frames, see if it works better. I guarantee you it will. Please don't think I'm a crackpot. Um, and then basically Rosenbaum found that in 1998 and a bunch of film curators went back and actually restored the footage and the sound cues to match Wells' vision. And that's the version that the four of us watch today. You see, I would be fine with that if they didn't have a bit at the beginning that added nothing to... to, 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 to it's the same problem I had with Battle of Algiers. It's like, this is the original print. Or like, we've taken aspects of the original print to bring to you. And it's like, I do not care. Show me the movie. How can you prove that you're like a, a proper cinephile if you can't I, be like, well, I saw this print. <laughs> all of this in it, like the way the filmmaker intended. You know? Exactly. Like, I yeah. would not be a film fan if this wasn't an auteur. <laughs> Harsh. Um, you know how I feel about auteurs here. <laughs> those wacky French. Yeah. Um, and it, it is great because the, the, I have the master, the Eureka's sort of master of cinema DVD or Blu-ray here. And it comes with an introduction literally taken from Gaher du Cinema, um, which is like, yeah, so we're, we're going all in on this. I suppose my point is if I wanted to know that I could have um, <laughs> looked it up or I could have like explored the Blu-ray. This is the, the actual movie that they insert in, like, a, a note at the beginning for, like, it, it's, there is a place for that, and that's fine. It's and the not, place for it, that is where you don't have to see it, apparently. Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, well, it would make more sense even to put it in at the end. Well, that, be like, this version is designed to reflect Wells' vision or something, you know. Well, it's it's fairly pretentious than going, to put oh, it at the beginning. Mm, yeah. Is it to avoid confusion by people who, like they've seen Touch of Evil before and then they're like, this isn't the Touch of Evil I've seen before. Yeah. I don't remember oh, there being... Yeah. 10 frames? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they, that held that shot for just a little bit yeah. shorter than I thought they did. Um, but yeah, it, what's kind of interesting because this, one of the minor versions, this is not a spoiler, one of the minor changes that's been made between this version and the last version is that the credits have been shifted from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. Um, in that one of the changes that Wells made was he wanted that, and we'll talk about a lot about the film obviously in the smaller zone but he wanted the opening scene of the movie to play without distraction over it so he wanted the theme music cut from it and he wanted the credits cut from it and moved to the end of the film and it's kind of interesting when Andrew talks about like the level of restoration the attention that we pay to that sort of thing the actual credits at the end of the film for the film itself so the original 1958 Orson Welles Touch of Evil are shorter in some ways than the credits that play for the people responsible for the restored version which is kind of, it's, it's an interesting reflection of how we change the way that we talk about movies now. And maybe, you know, auteur theory may be a part of that in that we're more respectful of, like, the work that an individual's done and stuff. But it is, I think it acknowledges the fact that, you know, nowadays we acknowledge the work that people have done on films, even if they're not headliners. Be respectful of my work. I'm <laughs> a very important director. We're going <laughs> to have a lot of bad Orson Welles impersonations in this episode. I feel. It's um, like, there's the movie. It's like, what about the edit? Oh, we'll find the edit. But <laughs> what about the plot? Oh, we'll find that too. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah... 
Touch of Evil is a remarkable film. It may be my personal favorite Wells film. Um, I don't think it's the best because Citizen Kane is sitting right there, but it's the one that I... It's <laughs> most... a controversial take. I know, Darren Hot Take Mooney. <laughs> but like, I've always loved Touch of Evil because Touch of Evil has this really trashy, really pulpy, really sort of like dingy, sweaty, like sort of creepy, sort of like... It's a B-movie in every sense of the word, and not just because it was the second half of the double bill with the female animal. It's grotty. It's sort of... But at the same time, it's a Wells film, so it's perfectly constructed. It's got everything is put together, so it's the highest quality of schlock that you could ever have, and I adore that about it. It's like schlock that you could teach in film school, and you do teach in film school, and I kind of, I love that about it. But what about you guys? What did you make of it? Love it. Love it. I I I don't know that again. I I don't know that it's the best Orson Welles film, but like, I appreciate the schlockiness of it so much because I love that. But also, I think it's a very intelligent film, and I think that with um, Orson Welles behind the camera, every single gorgeous moment of it, no matter how sordid it gets, it's just beautiful, and that's what I adore about it. And actually, noticed it even more. I mean, it's a long time since I'd seen it. But um, the the sound in this film is something oh, yeah. that I don't think I appreciated the last time I saw it. And even that opening sequence and how much sound adds to it and yeah. like how much flavor of the of the area and the space that's given to it by sound is yeah. so fascinating. Well, one of the interesting arguments about Wells and particularly about like Touch of Evil in terms of Wells filmography is that it's a film that showcases what he learned in radio. In that I think that there is obviously diegetic, non-diegetic music in there, but for the first I think 30 minutes of the cut that we just watched, none of the music is extra diegetic. It's all playing from car stereos, from radios, from like ambient sort of like storefronts and bars. And a lot of the movie throughout there, there's like the mechanical piano, which went on to have a very gainful career starring in Westworld. And it's got all this sort of like, you know, we're very big fans of the mechanical piano. It has done some great work over the years. But it's... um, there is a real sense of ambience and place and sort of mood that's captured by the sound. It apparently influenced the sound design on stuff like Coppola's uh, The Conversation and stuff like George Lucas's uh, American Graffiti as well. And in fact, the editor who was responsible um, for this cut of the film actually was the editor who worked on American Graffiti and The Conversation. And what happened is he was at a premiere, or sorry, a sort of retrospective of The Conversation. And he happened to mention, oh, I love well sound design. And uh, Rosenbaum and, and the other guy who were working on this project were like, yeah, we feel like mm-hmm. we can we can get you to probably work for a reasonable fee if we ask <laughs> you to re-edit Touch of Evil for us. Um, but yeah, so it, it sound is a huge part of it. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's extremely impressive. Um, and Because I suppose... It's almost like a throwback to the jazz era in a way. I mean, the it is nineteen fifty eight, right? Yeah. It's it's far beyond what you feel like that kind of like slinky jazz kind of vibe and like smoky old bar rooms. Like it's nearly the sixties at that point. So it's almost like we are beyond that. So it's almost like a throwback. Yeah, I mean, there's the um, Paul Schrader described as I think as an epitaph for film noir, yeah, which is a really great way of putting it as well. Um, and it is it kind of you can almost see the '60s sort of encroaching in a number of ways. I mean, mm. we'll talk specifically when we get into the spoiler zone about certain characters and certain situations involving Janet Lee, which maybe hint at the arrival of the '60s uh, very very shortly. In other words, Janet Lee's character should probably spend as, as little time in motels as possible, which seemed to be the takeaway from like her late <laughs> '50s, early '60s filmography. But what about you, Grace? What did you make of it? This was your first time watching it, I think. Yeah, it's grand. Um, I'm not sure I feel quite as blown away by it as everyone else here, so I hate to be a spoiled sport. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. 
I suppose and to echo what Charlene said about the it, it feeling sort of much older than it actually is like there's it's hard to describe, I suppose, how I feel about it because it sort of feels like something, and maybe this is just a reflection of the edit that we've just watched, but it feels very sort of knitted together and a bit all over the place, and I'm not quite sure it knots together as well as it should for me. Oh, interesting, because, I mean, one of the reasons that Universal made the edit that they did was because they were concerned that Wells's vision of the film wouldn't hold together as well. And one of the things that Wells did was there's a lot more cross-cutting in this version as compared to the other one. So in the original version, and again, we're not going to get too specific, you would spend particularly long periods of time following individual characters uh, and their own little subplots, and then you cut back to other characters who have their own little subplots. Whereas here you jump a lot more between what's happening to, say, two of the three credit leads who are on different tracks um, mm. and Wells' argument was that the audience could understand that and sort of follow it and I think Universal were sort of wary of that which explains why I think the 98 minute cut the original cut released in 1958 is a lot more linear a lot more straightforward and it cuts a lot of the sort of transitions that Wells sort of wanted mm-hmm. to do I mean I I actually quite like the um the sort of the, imagine the transitions being um I wonder how she's doing at that motel. Cut to her at a motel. <laughs> at a motel. Uh, yeah. No, she's not blacked out. <laughs> not, not quite. <laughs> not quite that. Well, I mean, like again, we, I don't want to get the too... camera follows along the road. <laughs> yeah. It just sort of pushes. <laughs> no, no, this no, no. Is, universe. We're like, it's a great movie, but can you shorten it by about twenty-three hours? We just, don't have to literally drive between. Yeah. The two it just pans yeah. out the camera, like kind of, we have, and, and then like slowly across the countryside i love the idea of like wells taking that like extraordinary one take which we'll talk about in Dev- and when we get to the sports zone but like that one take that opens the film and applying it to every other scene transition <laughs> where it's like where the camera literally follows like from the window where uh, charlton heston's making the phone call over Those to the motel full and bird back man. yeah and then back again um you never go full bird man but i mean there, there is this um but no it, it's more i actually don't really, want to confuse people i yeah. really admire the the sort of transitions in terms of wells tends to begin and end scenes in unusual places mm. so um like there's to pick one example there's a sequence where janet lee is in a hotel room and she's sort of bothered by somebody outside but the scene trend the earlier scene is um her husband charlton heston getting menaced in an alleyway and walking away so the cut is from him walking away to him walking in the street towards the hotel to the camera panning up to her room to what's going on in the in the room opposite cutting back to their, that sort of stuff, the scene happens, then he goes outside, and then it cuts to the guy in the other room throwing like something down and yelling at a guy in the street to get to the next scene. There's... I, I, I love your commitment to, to the structure of our podcast, where it's like, the, um, not to give anything away, but there's a thing where a guy goes. This exactly. There's <laughs> a thing, and yeah. they take... A, but but um... Wells tends to like bleed scenes into and out of one another in a way that I think is interesting in terms of ending this. But yeah, you're right. We should adhere to the structure of the podcast. No, no, no. The, 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 you're, the... What I'm, about you? I'm, this was... I'm, I'm for once not, not being uh, a big uh, 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 like um, podcast Nazi. Um, <laughs> We're working on this. What about you, Andrew? You, had you seen this before and what did you make of it? So, what, so I hadn't seen it before and I quite liked it. I think I, um, I can see maybe the, um, the features of, of, of it that I, I think Grace has alluded to. And I think... I think they do make it disjointed. I wonder, I mean, it is the first time I'm watching it, so it's difficult to have any kind of perspective, but I wonder if 
if if if some of those things were kind of like almost by design because i can feel i can feel like like there were there were instances i think maybe maybe that you darren were alluding to where there are where there are things happening at the same time as you're following certain and i think that adds a little bit maybe to 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 the tension because you're thinking what's going on how's uh, um, how how uh, what's happening with this other character? I need to know they're okay, yeah. and 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 yet the 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 edit is taking you away from from the where from, your focus the, from your focus is, yeah. um, which I which 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 I wondered like if 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 that kind of adds to the kind of uh, audience anxiety, yeah. um, in, or if in, or in, if it in, just in an interesting to a disengagement, yeah, yeah, or if yeah, exactly. So I suppose there's a, a couple of ways of, of of looking at it, but I I I I, I thought the movie looked fantastic, and not just in a way it's shot, but like everybody, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not everybody, but uh, well, sorry, okay. There are people who look fantastic, and then there are people who look fantastically terrible. Yeah. Yes. Like, and, yes, yes. And, and I don't and feel I, like it's a spoiler. I think I, appre- <laughs> I, think I appreciated both things because, like, I, um, yeah, I suppose I suppose we'll talk about it more on on, on, on the other on side, the other but, side of yeah. the spoiler zone. But yeah, I I I, I quite like this movie. Having said that, yeah, I have just watched it, yeah, so yeah. It, it would probably um, I'd have to. Let it settle a little let, bit. Let let it settle a bit. But yeah, I've, I've heard Orson Welles is good as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. What are the odds? I think this was only think... only his eighth movie that he directed. Actually. Um, mm. Well, he never had the career that he perhaps that um, he wanted. Deserved. Well, this this was famously the last one that he directed in the states, I believe. Mm. In that this was the one that completely uh, alienated him from the studio system. He was wary. I think after is it the Magnificent Andersons yeah. and uh, what was the one after that? Mm. Um, um, and this was the one that I think sort of finally pushed him over the edge um, and obviously like Wells is still he's a director who we're still sort of almost finding in in sort of like posthumously I mean as we're recording this his his latest film The Other Side of the Wind uh, is premiering at Venice to relatively positive reviews it looks bananas it does yeah, yeah I can't wait <laughs> having seen the trailer it looks the trailer for it looks remarkably like the trailer for this I think when myself and Andrew watched the trailer mm-hmm. for Touch of Evil it was something to behold. Now, I think the film itself is still something to behold, but it's very much, it's very intense and very in your face and Isn't very that concentrated. Gaudy? That's the Teddy Boys are coming for you. Is it at the Venice Bananale? <laughs> Sorry. Um, that was more one of yours, Dad. But thank, thank you. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, so I guess the only thing to do is before we jump into the spoilers and talk the movie in a bit more depth, is ask the big three questions. So the three questions are, and I love that Andrew, every time I ask these questions, Andrew like gets his game face on, even though he's heard them not a race. every time. So I get, I'm going to buzz you in. Um, so uh, first, first question is, do you think it belongs on the IMDb 250? Second question is, would it be on your own personal 250? And third question is, if there are some people who have, or this is this podcast, who haven't seen it before, should they stop the podcast, run out and watch it? So we'll start with Grace. What was the first question again? Uh, do you think it belongs <laughs> on the IMDb 250? Um, yeah, I guess as, as much as any other film belongs on the IMDb top 50. Um, you know, my, my feelings on this top 250 and the way it's uh, sort of, reflects a certain it? aesthetic yeah, it, it does perhaps. reflect a certain aesthetic and a certain view of filmmaking and a certain perspective and in that sense yeah it, it very much belongs on there i'm not sure it would be in my own top 250 but then in saying that kind of like andrew said i've only just watched it the once so maybe if i saw the original version of it or, or had more time to chew over it it might feel a bit more momentous to me um but yeah 
And then um, in terms of if I tell someone to run out and watch it, probably not. But I'm sure they get around to it eventually. <laughs> in, in, interesting enough, it is only one of... Um, one of two Orson Welles ones currently on the list, the other one being Citizen Kane, and this one is very much on a sort of a slow and steady decline. Um, I suspect that it won't be long for the list. Mm-hmm. It uh, entered. It's one of the movies that dates back to the beginning of the list back in 1996, uh, peaked at number 50 around January 2001, has been sort of on the way down uh, since, like, January 2006. Came into the list in a nice suit, had had given up drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and then gradually concocted right. a plan to get yeah. Citizen Kane and its meddling nose out of its business. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and then ended it. up floating in yeah. some sort of... Uh, I, feel, I love the fact that this is some the spoiler zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers here. So, yeah, we're just no talking about random here. things. We're just, yeah. talking, Whatever image we're just talking about an anthropomorphic movie <laughs> yeah. and its journey uh, through to 250. Yeah. Um, so it is currently at number 241. I suspect it may may not be long for this list. It will be uh, one of the relatively successful fallen along with uh, this year. We I love this is our in memorandum list on the 250. <laughs> this year we lost uh, Annie so Hall. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of inevitable. Um, that, that was so maybe the list is changing. Yeah, 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 about to say, yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, I don't know. I mean, what's the top 10 still made up of? Or, oh, or dare top, I even ask? The top of, of, the, of the IMDb top 250 are of uh, movies <laughs> that people like. Because um, if, if you mean the, 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 the latter, coincide. then, um, then I, I guess Black Panther. <laughs> Let's check what number that what, is. What on is the Black Panther on the 250? Yeah. Is it in the 250? No, no, it never made not. the 250. Um, I can't this... imagine why. <laughs> yeah. um, as opposed to, uh, yeah, Infinity War, which is now, I think, 15. Um, but yeah, sorry, insane. you can't it's see Charlene's as... reaction. <laughs> it is an audio medium, Charlene. Uh, sorry, I'll go, uh, then. <laughs> but, um, as much as I love clean. Infinity War, come on, like, that's ridiculous. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so, Charlene... <laughs> I yes I th- I can't believe it's number two hundred and forty one. If someone asked me to guess, I would have said around fifty. Like I think this is one of the greatest films, and I'm quite su- like I just I also thought it was like my own personal taste aside. I just thought it was regarded as one of the greatest films, so I would have expected it to be in the top fifty. But um, take I that IMDb. Yeah, how dare you? I'll be writing a letter. Um, but you know, I'm glad to see it's still there. Um, I it would be in my top 250 films I think I've never written them down and I like a lot of films but I do think that would be in there what's the other question? Um, <laughs> would you recommend that people go out and watch it? oh I would like go out and watch it but like watch it and turn up the sound real loud and like mm. and just just let it wash over you S- absorb it well, yeah <laughs> this, is the, this is the thing like one of the arguments about it when it was first released I think Peter Bogdanovich um, who we've talked about this podcast before and who appears in The Other Side of the Wind and obviously a big friend of Orson Welles so probably His not listeners will have heard about him last week um Sometime recently. <laughs> Sometime um, recently. Or in the future. Or in the this future. Is episode 83. No. Okay. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, Bogdanovich famously said to Wells, um, he said basically, it took me four watches of Touch of Evil before I paid attention to the plot. Um, and Wells was like, well, thank you. My, my script writing was obviously very good then. Uh, but yeah, I think that's this. Darren. Some, who is Peter Bogdanovich? Because I've never heard of him. What, what kind of movies does he do? Uh, he does like, I'm trying to think, does he have a movie on the list that we... I hope we get to see I hope we do get to talk future. about him at some point in the future relative yeah. to now. Um, but yeah, so um, 
But it is it is an interesting observation that like Touch of Evil is a movie that maybe doesn't necessarily have like a very linear, straightforward plot, but it you sort of let it wash over you. You absorb yeah. it. It's an ambience and a mood. Maybe that's my issue. I spent too much time trying to see if there was a story in here anywhere <laughs> instead of looking at everything else. Well, and, I guess that's what the studio's issue was. And I get it because you're like, if you're a studio and you just want to put this thing out for audiences... That's part of a double feature in, a, in like a B movie. Yeah. Like, it's like, like, like don't... what are people going to make of this? Like, yeah, it, it is, it's, it's a weird one. And to be honest, I'm fairly good at, uh, I don't know if this is a positive thing at all, actually. I'm excellent at, um, if, I, if I'm not really getting the plot... Yeah. I just go with it <laughs> yeah. and well, presume it'll all come to light eventually rather than kind of going like, oh, I don't know if that makes sense. So, yeah. and then distracting myself. Having your little jigsaw puzzle that you're putting together yeah. as you're watching it. I'll come back yeah. to it if I didn't quite get it. But I, I think that way of approaching it allows me to really enjoy a film like that yeah. in a way that I might not if I cared too much about the thought. I suspect that for people about to watch the movie that that's probably, that I would say that was a sensible approach to take. Um, as as in to kind of um, yeah be, be, uh, be because because I don't think it spoils anything to well maybe it does to to say that there might be some MacGuffins there could be some red herrings maybe there'll be some things that won't pay off so don't <laughs> feel knows? like you have to pay perfect yeah. attention um, necessarily or do <laughs> <laughs> you decide um, yeah I guess on that note then Andrew how would you how would you judge it I know you've just seen it for the first time. So do you think it belongs on the 250? Would it be on your own personal 250? And would you recommend that people watch it relaxed or otherwise? <laughs> um, I would... Well, I'd say... Yeah, I, I guess I've said I quite enjoy it. Uh, does it belong on the 250? I'm not sure, but it, it, again, I, I think... Um, I think it agrees with, um, with what Grace has said. It, it doesn't seem... Um, out, and of unusual, out of place. Uh, on the 250. And also, it was really good. In 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 a lot of ways, there are some. I guess we can we can dissect some of the ways in which it uh, it, it it maybe fell down, but yeah, I would yeah. Sorry, it, it would it would it be on my two fifty? That's a difficult question. I would I would say maybe maybe it would, but maybe it would only be two forty one. And falling quickly, yeah, like what Annie I, Hall or uh, yeah. even Dog Day Afternoon is another recently departed. Um, you you can't see Charlene's face. Sorry, but, yeah, uh, I just keep making these awful faces. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me sad. Yeah, Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. What a movie. Okay. What? Um, yeah. What? What's his name? John uh, uh, Casa Casavetes. No, the Cazelli. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. The gentleman who made like seven films and six of them are nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. four of them won, if I remember. There's some sort of like... That's, that's statistic. That's yeah. his sort of like batting average. It's pretty great. Um, also married to Meryl Streep, I believe. Yeah. Um, I don't think they were actually married. Oh, okay. But yes. Oh. She did like leave Hollywood to look after him while he was dying. Oh. And, like, that was very sad. Oh, very sad. Yeah. There's a beautiful article about that I'll send it to you. Oh. We'll include it in the show notes, even though it has nothing to do with this. Oh film. yeah, no, it's but it's, we will include it in the show notes just because yeah, cause it's R.I.P. Dog Day Afternoon. Oh. Yes, John yeah, this is our in memoriam. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, um, yeah, I'd recommend people go out and watch it because uh, it mightn't be on the IMDb for very long, fifty very long, and then they put it in a vault, and you'll yeah. never be able to see it. That's it. I like yeah. the idea of the IMDb vault, like the Disney vault. Um, yeah, <laughs> so we we bring titles into and out of circulation. I, I'm probably more on Team Charlene for this one. I'm like, I think it's fantastic. It is, as I point out, my favourite Wells film. I think it deserves to be on the 250. It would probably be on my own personal 250. And if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend going out and watching it. And I would have the same caveat, which is that it is... And this sounds really pretentious when I say it. It's more of a mood than a story man. 
Um, I've been smoking some of that reefer, some of that Mary Jane, some of that marijuana <laughs> mainline in it, you know? Um, but it is, it is a film that you sort of let wash over you more as sort of an experience as you sort of like absorb it. This is like Darren. To make du- it clear for the listeners that it's this isn't a joke. Darren has been uh, taking class A like uh, <laughs> control substances of the wacky tobacco, if you will. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's also this is more Darren as salesman for Cloud Atlas mode. It's just like <laughs> you gotta let it wash over you, man. You gotta just feel it. Um, but it is. It's an absolutely beautiful film. It looks absolutely stunning. It's really atmospheric. Um, Wells' direction is amazing. Um, it does have some issues, and there's some stuff we are definitely going to have to talk about in, in the spoiler zone. But it's also an absolutely fascinating film to sort of pick apart and try to explore and try to figure out in a way that's not necessarily like A to B to C plotting, more in, in a general sense of like what it's actually saying, which is I think is, is absolutely fascinating. So with that in mind, then we might segue neatly into the spoiler zone. <laughs> Zone. Beautiful. Sad whimper in the background. Yeah. So I don't sh- know what. Yeah, it's, it's go, no, no. Zone. <laughs> I don't know. So Charlene, since you're the member of the party who's seen this before, mm-hmm. what is Touch of Evil about for you? I think oh, such a that's a loaded question. But like, oh, it is. I mean, for me, it's all about. I forget his, the character's name already. Hank. Quinlan. Um, I like Hank. We should. It's like more personal. We should. Yeah, refer Hank. To him as okay, Hank. so we'll just. He's just Hank. Yeah. Like for me, it's just about like the the corruption and where that comes from, and an examination of the people who are corrupt. And you know, I mean, he is a very complicated man. We don't like him, but like there's there's moments of humanity in him that you know that he's not completely evil. It's just a touch of it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you John. Um, so clearly I've just backed up what I'm saying is correct because the title the agrees with it. I'm, I was like, <laughs> I'm really disappointed there wasn't a title drop there. Like when they had Tana there at the end standing over his body that she wasn't like, he was a touch of evil. He was a touch of evil. <laughs> yeah. It was some kind of man yeah. with, a with some evil on him. Touch of evil. <laughs> and then the credits roll. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, like that for me, and that's why um, rewatching it here, I was just going. If someone made this exact film today, and this film never existed, and they made this exact film today, it would blow people's minds because it's the sort of. And obviously, they would cast a Mexican person as a as a Mexican man. But like, part <laughs> where of that, would you Mexican? <laughs> Charlene getting out there ahead of like the <laughs> what's coming later in the podcast. But I definitely yeah. think that it's uh, it it feels. Like the examination of corruption and how it gets fed and how it gets allowed by people who care deeply about the corrupt doors. I think it's just really interesting. That's what it's about to me. And reefer, obviously, reefer madness. Lots of reefer madness. <laughs> it's like you again. You you say that you could make this frame for frame today. Obviously, recasting Charlton Heston as a Mexican. Uh, but the interesting thing is, yeah, it, it for me, it's it's very much steeped in that late fifties anxiety, and that's yeah. sort of like because I mean, we, we joked about it when we watched the trailer last week, where it was like Teddy Boys are coming to menace you and your wife, because um, it is. There's like this weird like Mexican Marlon Brando type vibe that's happening there with the uh, with the what are they called? They're the they're not the 
the Grande brothers, the Grande, Grande. the Grande brothers, the Grand, yeah. yeah, the Grande sort of the Grande, Grande nephews, boys. as it were, the Grande okay. boys. There we go, um, the Teddy boys and the Grande boys. They're the Mexican non-union equivalents of them. But there, there is something very sort of like fifties and retro about the way that that's presented, and obviously the reefer madness stuff that you alluded to, and a lot of the stuff involving Janet Lee, which I, I suspect we're going to talk about later on. But sorry, Andrew, what are you saying? Oh, we were. Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, uh, yeah, I, I suspect the issue with it might have just been that it was more difficult to find Mexicans back then. I believe, like, even in... they didn't exist. Yeah, even in Mexico, like... <laughs> yeah. Is, um, I mean, it wasn't like it's the largest border on Earth. Funny story, though, is that Heston originally wanted to shoot the film in Tijuana. Ah. The studio was like, no. Um, so he had to actually uh, go and shoot it in Venice, uh, in California. Um, not where the film festival is. Um, But yeah, so he... But uh, also Charlton Heston as a Mexican, it's worth noting, Wells was originally cast as Quinlan uh, in this movie, which I think he described as one of the worst scripts that he'd ever read. So he was was originally just going to be a movie and he was cast in it because he needed money. Um, Right. And then they went to Charlton Heston because they wanted Heston to to headline it because Heston was a huge actor at the time, obviously Ben-Hur and stuff like that and sort of this huge studio draw. Um, and they, you know, so they said to him, well, look, you know, you want to sign up and do this? We've already got Wells. And Heston apparently took that to mean they got Wells directing. And so the studio very frantically and panickingly <laughs> went back to Wells and said, so you know the way we signed you to like, you know, play this supporting role? How would you uh, like to maybe also direct and also not get paid any more money for it? And Wells was like, okay, if I get to entirely rewrite the script... Um, I was going to say that. I was go- I was going to ask, like, did he did he say, wow, can I can I write it? Um, <laughs> and the studio's like, sure, whatever, yeah, do whatever. I mean, that is exact. That is such a, a Orson Welles move. It's like, <laughs> well, I I can't you know I can't direct well. this schlock. Um, <laughs> you need a writer. Um, yeah, that, that, and and so he went back and rewrote it. He rewrote it. He rewrote it over the space of three weeks. Apparently, it was a very intensive rewrite process. Um, according to Zachary Davis, a lot of Davis, candy bars, <laughs> a lot of candy, no hooch though. Um, but I, according to Zachary Davis, and I'll include the links in the show notes. Um, Wells famously boasted that it was the worst script he'd ever read, but he he could still turn it into something beautiful, which is remarkable because it's based on obviously Badge of Evil, as it's credited, and it was really meant to be just this sort of schlocky exploitation story. And Wells retains, like, all the quintessential exploitation attributes to it. I suspect that's a large part of where the reefer madness and Teddy Boys aspects of it come into play. But he also turns it into something that I think is a little bit more nuanced and complicated. I wonder um, if he left it in for the sake of satire. <laughs> like, because because, it, really because does... It, it does feel like a ridiculous thing. Even that... in 1958. I know I always, like, um, all of my... Um, uh, of course, like um, aunts and uncles are hip and cool, but I always say like it, it seems like something that one's aunt wrote, like you know the 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 kind of like TD um, or like um, sorry we're in 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 Ireland here the the parliamentarian in in the Senate talking about the dangers of um, whatever this new thing is yeah. that they don't understand. It sounds like it was written by somebody kind of on that level. Yeah, of the like the cake uh, episode of Is a Brass Eye? Yes. Where they're talking about like the epidemic of the new party drug cake. Because <laughs> there's there's a moment where Janet Lee has her head up and it's like, come to the wall so I can whisper to you. It's like, you know what the marijuana is? And she's the like, Mary Jane. Yeah, and she's like, wait, what? The Mary Jane? What? Wait. The mainlining. You know what mainlining is? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I feel like Darren knows more about drugs than the people who wrote this <laughs> movie. movie. 
which is which is a real indictment yeah of the people who wrote this movie but it is it was very much like wells sort of wells took it from the ground up and sort of reinvented it uh which is fascinating because he wanted to do something that was trashy and schlocky and i think it is still trashy and schlocky but was put together absolutely stunningly and it is remarkably well put together it's like it's a stunning film to just watch I want to talk about some of the um I suppose we 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 we're we're going to talk a lot about the 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 things we liked and that sort of thing but I want to just in case we forget to talk, <laughs> to talk about the things that didn't work I, yeah. I mean Grace um do do you want to you were you were you were you were saying about how this is a very IMDb um, <laughs> uh, uh, top two fifty movie. Yeah, in in the sense that a lot of people are kind of raving about it, and I'm not really seeing where they're coming from, <laughs> which happens a lot. Um, I do think it it does look good in the sense that the settings are very interesting. There's a lot of desolation. There's a lot of really like sort of austere landscapes right down to the ending scene which takes place over a bridge and what appears to be some kind of a rubbish dump but with like oil derelicts in the background yeah it's i think it's on the it's on the border they talk about like how every border town is a little crazy but uh, they're crazy is a nice word for it border towns bring out the worst in our nations the rio grande goes um goes along part of the the mexican border it forms part of the border between uh mexico and the united states and i doubt it's the rio grande because the river in it isn't really that grande there but they but (laughs) it's it's, named for the family yeah it could be it could be a tributary but the the um it's one of the dirtiest um uh rivers in the world and people um apparently like go swimming with uh, in the river and um come out insane now these are all facts wait what these like all... i mean well, is this in the film that we're or in real life in is real the, life the, the Rio Grande. and when i say when i say yeah, these why would anyone go swimming there yeah. when i say these things i don't think you're meant to um, okay. <laughs> um uh, you're like if you fall off a bridge say, oh, okay. and um it's not it's not it's not a, a river you want to swim in it's not a river you want to swallow any of the water in um, uh, and well, that, the, the again, I could be completely wrong. I'm willing to have no. somebody from the Mexican tourism board come Call on and, and, and uh, restate, and yeah, we'll yeah, edit it into say, the end of the podcast. It's really not as bad as it used to be. <laughs> These are '90s facts yeah, that, that, that Andrew has not fact checked since. Yeah, this glass of water. Ten years ago, it would have been green. Now it's just a healthy shade I'll of green. Do a thing where I drink the water. Yeah, and, yeah, and pretend to smile. But that's horrifying. Thank you very much yeah. for that fact. Uh, we'll include some facts in the show notes for any of our listeners who may be thinking of holidaying near the Rio Grande. Don't, don't go for a swim. Don't go for a swim in there. And I think I, I think that's kind of gets into the, it. It fits with the whole kind of like corruption um uh side side of things because they've got like this really dirty river and it's really dirty in the movie and there's something about the 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 kind of being implied in it that there's something really dirty about um these um these towns um border because it's where you have a whole lot of um I suppose in 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 the movie you 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 kind of operate with a certain amount of impunity because you go to one country, commit a crime, go back. Yeah. Um, and it's a question and, of where the crime begins or where it was committed. Exactly. I mean, the central mm-hmm. mystery of the movie, or one of the things that gets Vargas involved in the case, is the question of if the bomb was planted in Mexico and it explodes in the United States, where was the crime actually committed? And it's sort of like that liminal space that exists. And it's funny because the the. <clears throat> 
the uh, setup of the movie is is that this is a kind of like a jurisdiction a, friction. Yeah, and but it's also going to be like a mystery of of of, of who done it and trying to prov- yeah. um, uh, uh, trying to trying, solve it. And yeah, trying out. to solve it and stop these people from being framed and all of that sort of thing. But is the movie about that at all? <laughs> not at all. No, not not one bit. It, it kind of like <laughs> like we never find out anything more about the person who was killed. Really, yeah. we have like bits and pieces. But it, 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 it like, the, we're... Like a shoe with a foot, yeah, like a shoe with a foot in it. We have enough information that we could run through a strainer. But it starts out as if you're kind of expecting it to be, like, akin to something like Chinatown, yeah. where you're going to discover all about, like, who these people are. The dark secrets of Yeah, them. yeah, dark secrets of the town. But it's, it's, it's much more kind of um, intimate, and it's less kind of concerned with, um, yeah, I, I, I suppose... Um, you could call it plot. <laughs> it's I'll just have... another case, though, isn't that, isn't that it? Yeah. Like, it's just another it's annoying case. It's part of a pattern. That, yeah. Yeah. And I guess that it just introduces the idea of like Hank being finally uncovered and like being so threatened by Vargas and the inherent racism and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I like that. I actually kind of like that it just doesn't really go anywhere because it's just like, it's just another... This is... One for, of these cases. It's, yeah. Forget it, Charlene. It's border town. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's more about the people and yeah. less about what's happening. So, uh, like, like they, they, it could have it could have happened at some other point when other things were uh, were occurring. But if you had the same characters... Involved, be, you'd have the same It would be the same conflict. outcome. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, the actual car explosion means very little in terms of the plot. It's just an instigating incident. Yeah, um, yeah. And it brings Vargas and Quinlan into conflict with one another. Yeah, what, whatever whatever um, uh, shenanigans um, that... You that, make it sound that, so playful. That, yeah. that, 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 that Hank is getting involved in, Vargas will see it yeah. and call it out. And then there will be the people defending... Um, Hank, the same, the, the 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 same people as in 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 that instance, they're like everyone will behave the same way, and mm-hmm. it's it's it doesn't it doesn't matter that a car just exploded. Well, yeah. it could have been a, a burger joint, <laughs> um, a bus full of children, um, and it would have been the same outcome. What about the axe in the burger joint? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually like we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about the Charlton Heston as a Mexican thing, um, but before we do, it's worth noting like the film. The film's portrayal of the border between Mexico and the U.S. is kind of interesting in that it seems to suggest, and I think it's actually quite clever how it does this, it seems to suggest that the issue is not so much like the fact that this is the border between the United States and Mexico. Like, it's not a sort of a stereotypical cliche depiction, depiction of Mexico. In fact, you could make an argument that its portrayal of Mexico Mexicans is somewhat subversive in a little way, don't worry, we're, we'll come back to this. In that, like, the lead Mexican character is Vargas, who is this tall, handsome, perfectly ordered, disciplined, properly researching, hardworking individual. And his American partner is these, you know, sort of slobbish, lazy, no control of his sort of hey. faculties, which is a stereotype. Oh, yeah, which is, again, I, reversing the... said partner. Partner, yeah. <laughs> You're not talking about Janet Lee. Um, no, no, no. I won't have anyone say anything about um, Janet but, Lee. But yeah, it sort of inverts that role slightly in a way that's interesting. And in particular, like a lot of the violence takes place on the American side of the border, in particular, say the motel yeah. is situated on the American side of the border, which is where you would assume would be the safer side because she, she herself points out that she thinks it's the safer side of the border. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's her. And they talk a lot in the movie about the kind of uh, prejudices. Yeah. Like the, 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 the way, um, uh, the way um, Hank talks um 
to um, uh, Miguel, isn't it? It's uh, Vargas. Vargas. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. I suppose it, it's. Um, after on first name terms with Hank, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he 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 talks to Vargas about Vargas's prejudices, and then it is like a kind of an examination of of the wives as well, because the the Vargas is a proud Mexican, and yeah. he he's like, well, no, they, they, it it it's just a border town. Every any 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 border town is the same thing, yeah. um, and you 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 and I, Darren, um, from coming from a border border county, will will I suppose know this to be true, but. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, awkward pause. Yeah. How much can we talk about on the podcast? But yeah, um, but it is like the suggestion Wells seems to be making, which I think is sort of interesting, is this idea of the border as a space between spaces. It's a space. It's a place where there's no real law because everything's so ambiguous and so tangled up. And it's not specifically like a exploitation thing. I think there are exploitation elements, which we'll talk about probably very soon after, after this, but I feel like Wells is making an argument about this idea. And it's kind of like, there's a weird timeless quality to everything that exists on the border. There's a sense almost that Quinlan is behind the times. He's a relic. He's something old and forgotten. Like he visits this old brothel where there's like a, a honky tonk piano, which is sort of from, you know, from like a Western that's playing itself. And um, now, of course, they have television, but you don't see any of that. That's and Marlena so, Dietrich is there. Yeah. <laughs> so know, like, typical of you to think it's a brothel. She just makes really good chili. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Definitely go to that place for, for some big really bowl good of Marlene Dietrich's <laughs> chili. Yeah, um, really good chili. Hot but, chili. Okay. Hot, <laughs> but, hot chili. But yeah, there is this sense of like law not existing, and it's kind of interesting because it plays into what we talked about. We talked about like Wells's construction of the film from a technical point of view and the idea of sound. Because one of the things that I really like about Touch of Evil is the fact that it repeatedly suggests that, like, the edge of the frame of the film that you're watching isn't necessarily the end of the film. And this is, like, in terms of, like, the sound design that we're talking, where everything is, like, you hear the sounds that come from actual objects, so diegetic sound playing from car stereo. I love that in in Mexican border towns, all they have on the radio is either news or Henry Mancini music. Um, But they have, like, when that wonderful tracking shot that sort of moves across and it follows the car and it follows the Vargas family, you have, like, the cutting of sound between the merging of, like, American-style jazz with more sort of Mexican traditional-style music in the background, sort of creating this sort of weird mingling effect. But when the way that even Wells transition scenes, the way that we talked about, which is like a way that can seem a bit confusing, where he seems to like, he moves away from a scene slightly in order to identify a character with whom he's going to cut to the next scene. So for example, where Vargas is attacked with the acid, you see Vargas walking away and then you cut to Vargas walking into the hotel. But the actual point of the scene is Vargas's wife getting menaced by Teddy Boy Brando. Um, And then... At the end of that scene, you see Teddy Boy Brando shouting out the window to one of the other, like, lesser Grande brothers, um, saying that, you know, you know, your uncle wants to talk to you. And then you follow that guy and see his uncle talking to him. And it's a really weird sort of scene transition thing. But it seems to suggest that, like, the characters move outside of the individual frame. They're still in motion when we can't see them. And, like, that's, I think, maybe ties into what he's trying to do with, like, borders and the idea of border town. In that if there's no edge on the film that we're, we're watching, if there's no edge of frame, if the world exists beyond that, then are borders just a similar construct? Are borders just, like, this sort of abstract idea um, that we try to do to impose, like, rational thought upon the world? Or a- Andrew's looking at me like I've gone off on <laughs> something. That's good. That's good. That is amazing, yeah. <laughs> 
This is what happens when you take all those... <laughs> all those uh, Mary Jane and marijuana. If I mainline it, this You've is... you opened your consciousness. Yeah, I've, oh, I've expanded my consciousness. The borders of your mind. Yeah, if you will. No, I just... I find it sort of interesting because... There are aspects of the film and its treatment of border areas, in particular its treatment of Mexico, which are not, have not aged particularly well. What do we expect? Uh, that's that's fair. Um, I mean, there, there, it is it, a film that it's is as if 60 we years pretend old. It's a good thing now that people are talking about Mexicans. Everybody. Yeah. Um, and there's absolutely nobody who's concerned no about an open border. Yeah, I, like, it's I, a good I, t- thing that we live in an enlightened time where a movie like this could never be made. I, I, love, the, the, I love the idea of Charles. There was a moment where Vargas is talking with his wife while they're driving. It's like, it is the longest open border in the world. And I was <laughs> like, no oh. machine gun yeah. for like 1,400 miles or <laughs> something. And you're like, so funny. Yeah, it really is. Particularly because... Like, is in, this like a nod to Charlton Heston and his <laughs> notable association with the NRA or is this just a happy accident? <laughs> I think it's a happy accident, but it's it is. It's, it's like like 1,400 miles and no machine guns. It's a nightmare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the key takeaway from Touch of Evil. Yeah. Touch machine of Evil is like... the only things that separate yeah. us from the animals. Yeah. Touch of Evil is like Build the Wall, the movie. It is not Build the Wall, the movie. <laughs> no. To be absolutely clear, like, Wells has, like, gone out on... Like, Wells is a notable advocate when he was alive for causes to do with justice and miscarriages of justice. He Mm. famously campaigned for the Sleepy Lagoon uh, killers who were accused... They're basically people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Huge miscarriage of justice. He wrote editorials and newsletters for them. Um, The infamous case of the... uh, the, Is it uh, the gentleman who was blinded by a police officer after coming home from the Second World War? Um... Wells was oh, also, yeah. it was Isaac Woodward uh, is the name. He was basically, he was attacked and blinded by a police officer for riding on a bus. He was a black man um, who came home from the Second World War. And Wells was also an advocate for that. And Wells is very much an advocate for like justice and the idea of like the law serving all. And it's funny because he's gone on record. People have like evaluated the film by asking, you know, Hank Quinlan, is he really such a monster and, like, you, you read this and you read interviews and there's, like, a little notebook in the, like, Blu-ray that I have here where Wells is asked, so, Hank Quillen, is he really a monster? And Wells is like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. yes, he is. I love, I love um, <coughs> Wells' performance in this mm-hmm. because he really plays into the kind of monstrosity of it and, and um, but also the, the humanity. But the, the, there's a real kind of um, fun kind of, like, um, playfulness in the fact that he's he's this he's he's Orson Welles playing this big like like literally uh, larger than life gargantuan yeah yeah just uh, like snacking away on his and just being a real kind of sweaty like kind of alcoholic kind of, and he he he's it, it's it's it I like I I I love that 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 Welles kind of like like went for that because there's some there's something really kind of like like he it's it. He's not like precious at all about no. about about like it, like wanting to 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 glorify himself or yeah, to, like, yeah. to play he, this as a vanity project. Exactly, because <laughs> uh, like like um, hey, you think about um, say like a, a a movie a movie that we either recently saw or will see in the future, um, the um, United <laughs> Passions. Yes, where Gerard Depardieu is playing this like horribly kind of pompous. The movies- Founded um, by FIFA to glorify FIFA. What is this film? United Passions. Yes. Oh, this is in the bottom. Yeah. Okay, yes. Grant. I was like, what? <laughs> it's at number 240, Charlene. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, 
but the the like of course like that that's um if 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 an actor is is um has no kind of like sense of well even like of, Braveheart with Mel Gibson to pick yeah. an example of a movie that we like where Mel Gibson clearly wants the camera to love him mm. yeah yeah where where whereas there's no vanity yeah. in 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 this from Wells and it's really um it's it it it's a really great performance because he's not trying to kind of look um handsome or seem like a an, a nice guy in it at all <laughs> no. um, no, nobody wants you to come away from the movie thinking that Hank Quinlan he had a point yeah um, yeah but at, and at the same time really imbued it with 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 a sense of humanity you get uh, Quinlan he makes yeah. sense I think most most of the characters in a movie do like even if, if it and the, the the like even even with the greasers like you get the sense that they're 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 not quite themselves but also they don't even do anything that like heinous you're left as the audience to think that something uh worse because you don't see it you're 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 left to believe that something uh, truly uh, uh, horrific happened and then you're uh, um told that um, nothing happened uh, i mean there is something very cynical in that i think in terms of filmmaking and stuff like that in that like it's very it feels very it's an exploitation movie sort of move but the film then like has a discussion about oh she'll wake up and she'll only think something horrible happened and the film is like oh well you're meant to feel relieved trauma yeah the film is like you're meant to feel relieved that she will only feel that level of trauma i love that it's like uh, she's being drugged but it's okay because it's uh, either demerol or um, uh, sodium pentothal it's not so it's not a bad drug it's not like (laughs) marijuana she's not like she took marijuana once she didn't inhale um (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the, really strange. Like if we're, if the we're, drug stuff is brilliant. Yeah, let's I, talk I, a little bit about the drug stuff. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, Darren. <laughs> no, no, but it is very fifties moral pattern. And as much as as much as like Wells is doing all this interesting stuff with like borders and liminal spaces and stuff like that, there's a, it's a lot. There is a slight moral panic whiff to whiff to both the uh, the drug stuff and also the treatment of Janet Lee's character as well. There's something very uncomfortable in the way the film sort of treats. I think. Mrs. Vargas, which is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like the first time I saw that film, I, I remember watching those sequences and thinking they felt like a horror movie mm-hmm. and it yeah. really upset me, like really upset me. And because I had no idea what, you know, what was what or what was going to happen to her. Um, and watching it a second time, it's just like this, it's such a disgusting thing that this woman was put through that horrendous trauma just so that he could delegitimize Vargas because his wife is a junkie and he's a junkie, like whatever that like setup that he was doing, that Hank was doing. Um, And I think there's just something really ugly in that. And I don't know if there's an argument that, you know, um, Wells wanted to kind of show that this horrible treatment of a woman is not the way to do things. Or if it's just like, oh, typical, it's the way women get treated in films all the time. I think there was a sense in it to which it was saying more about Fargus um, than it was saying about the people who were subjecting her to that. Because he was obsessed with his job and ignoring his wife? Yeah. I think I I suspected that it was kind of like speaking to... um, Because I suppose in in the 50s, um, it was was a time when um, married women didn't really... Um, go to work so mm. we're like um at, at 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 home all the time while 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 their while their husbands were um 
Well, you know, also off, had, uh, pursuing their career. I mean, in this movie, that anxiety after the Second World War as well, where women had been at work and were now transitioning back yeah. to that yes. role as well. So it was particularly acute, perhaps. Yeah, and this is supposed to be their honeymoon. Yeah, was it their honeymoon? I wasn't hundred percent sure. Well, they I, got married that day. It's the first time oh, there was okay. a married couple crossing over into the U.S. Although he yeah. was flying back anyway for the case in Mexico, say, wasn't yeah. he? In uh, the following day. Yeah. So I think this. Women. I think it's it's a movie <laughs> as about, compared to what they got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's meant to be about neglect, and 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 her feeling kind of like well, sorry, it's a movie about a lot of things, but one of the things I think it's about is neglect and her feeling isolated mm-hmm. and not feeling um, safe. Yeah. Um, and 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 it. But also like, his his obsession. Like I mean, we yeah, talked a little bit about how it's like a product of yeah, that. How Quinlan is is not a nice person. Vargas. At the end, which is very strange because, like, the film sets you up to believe that, like, Vargas is the good guy. He's he's clean cut, he's wearing a suit, he's got a beautiful wife, he's very professional, he's totally not cool with framing people for things. So you're you're immediately meant to think, well, this is this is the good guy. This is who we're meant to back. And then as the film goes on, you, you get this weird niggling sort of unraveling quality to Vargas, where his obsession leads him to, first of all, ignore his wife. Um, and in t- I'm not entirely comfortable with how the film treats his wife as just an extension of himself or as a tool to demonstrate how neglectful he is and, and all this sort of stuff. No, but, but it's a 19... 19- yeah, it is. I, did, yeah, I mean, no, I we, know, I know. We, we watch movies that are kind of... that are in from those times and that are ahead of those times. Yeah. And we kind of commend them. Yeah. Um, but at the, at the same time, we, 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 we uh, when, when a movie is of yeah. its time, it's yeah. kind of... You have to, to a certain extent, judge it by what it is, not what it what it should, what it could yeah. be, or what it would be now. Yeah, and I think that's fair. But I also think that, like as the film goes on, Vargas um, basically unravels, and he becomes sort of obsessed with hunting Quinlan as mm. this white whale. And it's not necessarily about justice or righteousness. It becomes about ego. The point where he like he gets Pete killed at the climax of the story, basically because he's so eager to catch mm. Quinlan. He's chasing him round with this like gigantic boombox sound system that's broadcasting oh. the conversation that they're wiretapping. Oh, you can um, hear that, can you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, he's becoming more like Quinlan. Yeah, because yeah. he he's wrapped up all the loose ends. Like he, he's, <laughs> he, he's 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 in 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 a roundabout way. He's he he's taken care of. Of, of business, of, of business, in a way that had nothing to do with uh, justice or, or the case the, that he was working. Or the law, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like even at the end, he's sort of disheveled. He's wearing his like suit that's sort of like it's shredded. Buttons are open. The ties undone. He's unkempt. He's crawling out of the sewage, like the the sewage that Quinlan ends up floating in and trying to wash his hands. Yeah. Like at by that stage, by the time the Quinlan ends up in that, Vargas has already waded through it and climbed up out of it. I feel like there's something sort of interesting and, and almost like cynical and nihilistic in the film's portrayal of Vargas as this character who seems like this white knight and who eventually just becomes this like monstrous sort of like That's self-obsessed. That's so Orson Welles. That yeah. is literally Orson Welles' life, <laughs> isn't it? Like... <laughs> <laughs> if we want to talk about Welles putting his own ego into the film... He but, does that, yeah, in a, in a self-deprecating way. If yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Like, it's, it's not Mel Gibson in Braveheart. No, it's certainly no. Not Mel Gibson in Braveheart. <laughs> no. I mean, there is the argument that, um, that Quinlan himself, and, and Ebert has argued this, that, like, Wells has talked about how he writes autobiographically um, and, and how, like, Wells constantly puts himself in there. And Quinlan is in some ways, like, a failed director and a failed writer and a failed storyteller. And Quinlan is trying to construct this elaborate narrative. 
Mm. Um, and it just doesn't work for him. He can't get the pieces to fit. He can't edit it together into a cohesive whole. Somebody else comes in in a nice suit and tie and basically writes all over what he was planning to tell, the story that he was planning to construct, the movie that he wanted to make. And it's kind of interesting in that sense. Um, in terms of looking so at it as well. He's very much the studio. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Charlton Heston all the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the, yeah. um, have you guys seen Ed Wood? Yeah. Uh, where they have that oh. wonderful conversation where um, there's a moment where Ed Wood, played by Johnny Depp, goes to a, a restaurant. He's he's working with the studio at that, at that point. He's working with the studio. He's very constrained by budget. They won't let his vision out. Oh, and he I... meets Orson Welles. Yes. And Orson Welles talks about how sometimes you have to learn to go with it. And Wells' observation is, well, they even got me making a movie with Charlton Heston as a Mexican. Um, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious, given that, like, Wells, as we pointed out, ended up on it because Heston wanted him. Yeah. But I feel like... Do you want to talk a little bit about, like, the use of space and the use of long takes in the film? It's like, one of the things that Wells does, and I think this points to, I think, what Grace was saying about this being, like, a stereotypical IMDb movie in terms of, like, auteur theory and sort of celebrating, like, Wells as a filmmaker... And, and maybe looking past the, the plotting issues and stuff like that. Because the plot, you know, the, the plot doesn't necessarily all tie together neatly uh, in La Beau, as we pointed out, in that, like, it's not really at all about the bomb that starts it off. It's much more about the mood, the ambience, and the characters, and how they interact with one another. Um, and one of the things that I actually quite like about it is the sort of the sense of, like, it not necessarily all needing to make sense in terms of plot, it not, it not all needing to fit together, mm. and just sort of like taking the film as it presents itself to the audience, and maybe just like going with it and rolling with it and accepting it, because a lot of the, the movie isn't entirely clear in terms of like the finer points of the plot. And some of the finer points of the plot are completely insane, notably the plot with Vargas's wife. Where it's like, what we're going to do is, you see, we're going to get her to take her honeymoon at a ranch that is controlled by us. And we're going to menace her there and make her feel really uncomfortable. And then we're going to go in and we're going to breathe like marijuana smoke on all of her clothes. Oh, yeah. And we're going to take her to a hotel and... Didn't they, they inject her with heroin too? Like, I feel like they inject her with empty syringes. <laughs> like yeah. by that rate of going. Oh, yeah, fake heroin. Fake <laughs> heroin. That was yeah, what it was. That's it. Fake yeah. heroin. Like, yeah. They injected her with... Um, oh, no, maybe it was um, uh, 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 sodium... Um, yeah, it was truth, said, ser- truth serum, I think. Truth, this, yes, yeah. it's a truth serum. Oh, is um, that what that was? The sodium pentothal, yeah. So what did she do then? Tell De- Demerol. The truth? It's the other... It's, <laughs> You know, uh, it just it oh, just makes you feel high. It lowers your inhibitions. Demerol is that other type. Um, of I am the expert in drugs. It happened. Yeah. There's muscovado, and then somewhere in the press, there's some Demerol, <laughs> and that's the yeah. So <laughs> leave, leave that there. But there is sort of like, and and then like Quinlan's plan on top of that is to like strangle his partner in this evil endeavor using a silk stocking and drape him over the edge of the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Like the movie's not, and while concocting a narrative that Vargas is secretly while investigating the cartel, a cartel drug lord who has hooked his beautiful American wife on like all these drugs to keep her under control. I it's... thought it was a good plan. If they had, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, it feels it's like ambitious, but you know. It's there's at least plenty. 12 steps more complicated than it needs yeah. to be. There's plenty of yeah. movies where, like, even the twist in the, in the like, first 
act of the movie is that the cops are corrupt and are, are using their influence to sell drugs um, with the with the um, with the cartel with, with the cartel um, so they, so they, Quinlan's just sort of getting ahead Quinlan, of that Quinlan, yeah yeah I think Quinlan was like actually just makes perfect sense yeah I've um, seen enough of yeah I, 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 I would have done the same if I weren't an honest cop yeah the <laughs> amazing thing is that uh, Quinlan is really dirty but not for his uh, own benefit no yeah he, he has this yeah. like turkey ranch it's like two acres yeah he's not um, concerned with money well like, that's that's exactly they talk about him. yeah vargas actually literally says he a cop can never take a bribe mm. and still be dirty because then the local town seem horrified at the prospect that he's dirty because that would imply he's taking money he's dirty in the sense that he frames people that he believes are guilty yeah which is interesting because that again ties back into the whole nihilism of the film the really horrible reveal at the end that the man he framed has actually confessed to committing the crime. Yeah. Which is an interesting and very bleak sort of like conclusion on the, on the sort of a cherry on top of the story. Whether he did it or not, I think is the, <laughs> yeah. like, like um, Vargas makes the point that the, that the law is there to uh, protect the guilty as well as the innocent. Yeah. Um, and that it's tough, but, um, but that's the job Yeah, that you, you can't just kind of go um, take um, these shortcuts, like in order to, to lock people yeah. up. I mean, so yeah. it's, it's not it's not that he's innocent that he, that 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 they can't frame him. Yeah, no, um, no, it's I, because it's it's because they can't frame people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that is the better argument because you have like a lot of the arguments about like miscarriages of justice or what if an innocent person's affected or like we shouldn't use torture because what if you torture an innocent person? I think that Andrew's right. It's a much harder line to take philosophically to say no, no, no. You you don't torture yeah. Yeah. not because you might make a mistake. Yeah. You don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like I feel like if you could one. 100% be sure that this was not a nice person still can't still. torture them and, yeah. that's, and that's a much more interesting position because it's based on a principle rather than a consequence yeah yeah so it, like if 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 you're thinking in terms of consequences you'll be just like well i'm sure they weren't innocent <laughs> yeah i mean um, nobody's the, really innocent yeah, in the grand scheme um, of things. <laughs> versus if, you, if you're if you're making principal decisions about things then you would know what was right and you wouldn't do the wrong thing yeah um which 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 is i guess the stronger um, point that well, Wells uh, chose to make so I don't think it was nihilistic I think it's the opposite mm-hmm. but then isn't the whole thing then that um, Hank has chosen to like destroy Vargas just because of his own ego and fear that he might like find out because he's so good so he's not like so he has I think that's quite a nasty thing to do I but, think he's being confronted with his mistakes and that yeah. he 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 thought he was doing a good thing, and has certain has suddenly. I think like it happens to people a lot. Where like you t- say, for example, a person um, I was listening. To, uh, sorry, um, I I know I'm terrible for tangents, but I was listening to Paul F. Tompkins talk about when he used to work in a in a video shop. So it's movies. It's yeah. kind of related. And you don't have to justify it. Um, uh, but he he um, he spoke about how he heard somebody say. Oh, they expect you to steal the movies every now and then. So, so he started stealing the movies from his shop, and he he was like justifying it to himself and saying, "It's fine. Everybody steals the movies from their shop. That's why they pay us so little." And, and <laughs> went on for for like ever until he was finally confronted about it. He even planned um, what he was going to say. He he was going to be like, "How dare you?" Excuse <laughs> um, me. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you, you know what? I don't need this. I'm I'm leaving this place. Uh, <laughs> but then he was like confronted about it and um 
uh, so he decided immediately to break eye contact and start sweating. <laughs> and he started pulling his hair because he had realized at that point that he had been confronted with it, with with, uh, with 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 his own guilt that I guess um, hadn't really happened to Hank. Yeah. Until yeah. until Vargas came into town and 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 all of a sudden the kind of rug is being pulled under him and he realizes oh God what am I doing and yeah. it, but he's still too he's still too uh, too deep in it there are kind of moments of the movie where you think he 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 might come clean or come good but he's he's given so much support by everybody by, around uh, by his, Pete his, for example yeah, but also, yeah yeah Tanya and stuff like that as well exactly everybody's there to like and this Every, is the thing. and it's like no 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 you Don't, keep doing what yeah. you're doing yeah that like, support structure that's in place for him is really notable i think that that's a really important thing is that like corruption isn't like one guy who we don't really like corruption is an entire network that goes through everything and actually with in the case of pete is it pete yeah it comes from a place of love he's just like that man he's a great man he made and we like pete so he took a bullet from me yeah 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 he he loves him he's not like I'm embroiled in this too. He's like, I love him. Yeah. He is my friend. This is actually People one of the... People are grateful for him. Yeah. One yeah, of the smaller everyone. changes that was made actually in the Wells Cut was that they they trimmed a shot or a tight insert on Pete's face during the confrontation in the records room because Wells saw that and thought that it made look like Pete was sort of crumbling. Um, that it was like that Vargas had got to him by basically making him acknowledge that he was weak and he was corrupt. Whereas keeping that shot out and not having him collapse in front of Vargas, but waiting until he's sort of facing away from Vargas allows it to be a more internal sort of thing as well, which is a nice touch in terms of directing and ending. Uh, But yeah, I think that's a very valid point because you get that sequence where like Vargas like calls him out in front of like the, 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 you know, assistant district attorney and all this sort Mm. of people. And they're all like, you know, initially they're like, well, this is this is very concerning if this is the case. And, you know, Quinlan throws his badge down. He's like, I don't need this. And they're like, well, you better apologize, mister. Get down on your hands and knees and beg. And they go like dominoes yeah, as well. That's it. Which yeah. is like the whole kind of like uh, the corruption is kind of spreading. Yeah. Like yeah. in, um, it's amazing the, the, the way. And, and, it, it, and yet it kind of like felt real. Yeah, because that's the way that people behave, and they suddenly think, "Oh, sorry, we're not putting him in jail anymore." Oh, yes, I forgot this guy. Uh, I, I need to get yeah. ahead of this. Yeah, yeah. I need, yeah. Like, I, I figure everyone... out which way the wind's blowing, exactly. so I'm going to blow harder. Um, yeah, and it, it's fascinating. It's a really great look at that. I like how Orson Welles, for you know, he's a, he's he's a dark soul, has to be said, but he has a lot of heart, and I think that he imbues that character with a lot of heart, and you feel like there's something really really great going on and if i were to say there's something that i'm not really into about this film i would say that it's charlton heston as vargas because i just don't find him very interesting and i think compared to hank who you're you know who's the the bad guy essentially Mm. he's so much more fascinating every time he's on screen i just care deeply about what he's going to do next whether you know i know he's wrong in what he's doing but like i care much more about him i don't really care at all about vargas yeah. Or not? I yeah. don't mean or his wife. I mean, what happened to his wife is dreadful. <laughs> but I just mean in like in general in life, I don't really care what yeah. happens to them. And <laughs> so like, <laughs> they live happily ever after, like and we're probably as an boring. Actor yeah. did an yeah. absolutely incredible job. Oh yeah, it creating that character. I think it I, could have been much more simplistic and 
boring. Well, you you like, almost feel sorry for him, which is remarkable yeah. given what he does. Like, yeah. he's complicit. He murders this guy who admittedly is running like a drug cartel, but does it in a way that, like, horribly so scars horrible. this, yeah, yeah, this woman. Like, he makes a point to dangle the body over the edge of the bed so when she wakes up, yeah, there we go. With the tongue sticking out. out. <laughs> um, a lamb's tongue, famously, that they oh, put in, really? the, in the actor's mouth. Was it just his own tongue no, sticking out? because they couldn't properly distend it. It doesn't oh, okay. look the same. Okay. So they needed to sort of, uh, yeah, there's, there's a nice behind this magic sort of Andrew, you don't eyes have to... were done up well as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah it's sort of bulging, like, kind of like a little bit of like mascara. Um, yeah, <laughs> to give you a sense They're of contrast. Really popping. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I see what you did there. No, the um... but you do feel sorry for Quinlan, which is remarkable. Like because but... there are points made that he like falls off the wagon. Because mm. like early on, he seems relatively proud of his sobriety. He's like, yeah. you know. So candy bars better than it being the hooch um, and then you know it's like I really yeah. like some of that chili and then later on he's like downing he goes for a drink with the with the sort of grandy mm. the grandy cartel uncle and he has a drink there and then you know everybody's his Pete is very disappointed to see that he's sort of fallen off the wagon yeah and it's really and then he talks about obviously what happened to his wife and that miscarriage of justice which explains what he's doing now he's still monstrous the film makes it very clear that it's monstrous. It presents him from Dutch angles underneath. Yeah. The scene where he gets out of the car, it's it's literally like Boss Hogg has arrived. You know, it it's really her, is. Yeah. Like it, and he is treated like a monster. So I'm not like, I'm not kind of getting into Orson Welles liked this guy, anything like that. But like, I love when you can see a monster, but you can see how that monster was created. It's so much more interesting than then this is the bad guy and he does the bad thing. You it, see how that man has been created and for all his faults, like he has had trauma in his past and yeah like it is really sad when he falls off the wagon and they allow us those moments and Wells as an actor allows us those moments and Wells as a director directed himself to do so so like (laughs) it does work and I I would say I guess going back to Vargas and to Tartan Heston I would say it's perhaps bad acting I I I would say it's good casting because I I feel like if 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 say Gregory Peck had 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 played Vargas, he would he would have really kind of given a weight to to, to his sort of um, moral his, sort of like yeah, authority. His, yeah, By the way, Shirley would seems have... to be swooning here. I think is yeah. <laughs> well, I just really like Gregory Peck, but like <laughs> but, I I do actually think Charlton Heston might be a bad actor. I, yeah, I, I mean that that might be a terrible thing to say, but I I do think he might be a bad actor. But, you know who is a great actor? Gregory, Gregory Peck. Peck. He's amazing. <laughs> but am I, imagine imagine if. Imagine if Gregory Peck was in this movie, kind of uh, 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 playing like um, um, an updated ber- version of Atticus Finch. Um, when you imagine... say updated, do you mean to, call, no. to set a watchman? Not or... that updated, please. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Um, what, what, what I mean is... That um, maybe that, the best thing about Gregory might... Peck dying is that we will never get that movie. God. That might have taken away from, um, I think, um, from Hank's character. Because if 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 he had been so kind of it it would have almost seemed kind of sanctimonious, to 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 I th- I think I th- I think the the kind of uh, blandness of um, uh, Hessen's presentation of the whole kind of like um, moral argument makes it seem that that's that, a really good point yeah, yeah. 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 May, 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 makes it less kind of compelling um, or, or sort of like luxury or sort yeah. of yeah well yeah it's 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 just kind of like laid out as a fact yeah rather than it being this impassioned sort of like yeah condemnation where the things. journey is for um is 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 um 
is for a hank. Yeah. yeah. It's not. It's not that. Um, uh, it all. All it, it. Like it. It almost like. Um, it's his realization. It. 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 It wasn't that. It was kind of. Um, it was. It. It didn't need to be. Um, really um, explained to him in any in any kind of powerful way. Um, as 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 soon as as soon as it was presented to him. He just it, it, yeah. it like yeah. dawned on it. Him. Just like, sort of collapsed on yeah. it almost, and ended up being discarded like waste. I mean, there's the really so, great bit at the end where Don is looking at the body, going, "Isn't somebody going to get him?" Yeah, and you're like, "Oh, they're just going to let him drift in the Rio Grande." Ugh, that that ending, that like that whole sequence of him dying is just phenomenal. I love it. It's so grimy, so ugly. And like the washing his hands in Yeah, the, where he's trying yeah, to like clean uh, off the blood the with like the water that makes you insane, yeah. apparently. Um yeah, that's that's really harrowing. Lucky for him he died. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably died. He yeah. floated off somewhere. <laughs> We're waiting for touch of evil I don't too. Know. Yeah. Where he's just gone mad. <laughs> they, said, they said the same about Jason. I'm actually now imagining like the, the at the end of the restored version of Touch of Evil, the closing credit sequence, the post credit scene. Of like of um, sort of of Hank or breaking out of the water in the style of the serial killer. Or Hank's mother yeah. coming after that. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't a hooker. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it wasn't a brothel. Maybe that was his mum. She was chilly. making him chilly, as yeah. you do. Yeah. As you go after all the uh, the camp counselors. <laughs> but it it is worth noting. Like this is one of those movies that again it's a Wells film, so it's beautifully directed. But I absolutely adore that final sequence because it underscores what you can really do with like black and white uh, film and footage in terms of like contrast and blackness and darkness. Cause like where they're out by the derelicts at the climax of the film. And it's great because the climax of the film has Vargas literally starting out higher yeah. than, than Quinlan and then coming to his level when he's moving alongside him and then literally sinking underneath him in like this, uh, we, you know, symbolism. I like symbolism a lot. <laughs> but th- it also has like these wonderful Dutch angle shots of like the edge of like the broken bridge where Pete and sort of Hank have their big argument. But you have like the, the oil drills, right, which stretch up into the sky and just blackness around them. You don't yeah. have stars in the sky. You don't have any light. So you have this sort of like grey, grimy colour of the world that we're living in and just this blackness beyond it, which yeah. is visually stunning you have a great kind of uh, I'm, I would hesitate to call it a monologue but I think it's like Orson Welles talking about money money and the oil while, while the um, and the, <laughs> the camera is kind of like moving yeah. up and down with the, like with it's the oil also pump. on another pump yeah. um, but it's looking at this it's yeah, yeah the the the, the um, they're, 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 and I think I, I, I complain all the time on the podcast about how movies just don't do stuff like that anymore they're not. They're not interested in 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 in, in talking about how. Um, kind oh, of, social uh, commentary like um, your Andrew's lament for the Reagan era science fiction or political commentary, yeah. film, for example, stuff like They Live or Aliens, even to make an example, RoboCop, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think Andrew sort of. Yeah, like they 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 make remakes of those movies now, and there's no. Well, they strip that stuff uh, out. Yeah, there's no mm-hmm. satire, no comment about kind of the the way the way things are, as if things now are better than they were then. Yeah, it's all sorted. Did you yeah. not hear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the Mexican border on. is the largest open border in the world, Andrew. I mean, yeah. I feel like we've Did lost track. I mean, there's, there's 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 lots of there's lots of political messages in movies, but there mm. there isn't really very much um, anti-capitalist um, sentiment, which is strange That's because yeah. because the the, the um, there like 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of um, 
and and rightly so um uh, treatment of identity poli- politics in movies um because it's um it's an important topic i guess it may be re- but but it we, we don't see a, a reflection of of the um uh, problems of inequality so many, so much yeah. in 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 well, not in Hollywood space. movies no. for sure. It's run by a bunch of capitalists, so <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, I mean, well, it, it was like it was during the eighties <laughs> as well. Like, yeah, but that's true. I don't know how but everyone was coked out of their minds. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fine. Well, so like, take what you want. <laughs> What's <laughs> this? Yeah. And it's like we're skewering you, man. You're cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 trying to hang out with the artists. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> what is this script? Can I snort cocoa? That's all I want to know. It doesn't mean me. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm in. I mean, don't you. worry. We're going to put a scene where where uh, where Bob Morton does coke with with, uh, with some uh, very attractive models. Models. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Sorry. Back by obligatory Robocop reference uh-huh. uh, and, and obligatory food waste as well when he crushes that pigeon egg. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was I was very disappointed. I was that. upset. I thought he was going to eat it, and I was glad. That's and then and then he got it smushed on his yeah 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 the, just to make a point. Yeah, there is a lot of eating today. So, which made which made up for um, some of the food waste in the movie. Was there some inappropriate smoking as well? There, there was a lot of smoke just in general, just like an ambience. Smoking, yeah. There was inappropriate smoking in the hotel room. To quote the, you know, looking yeah. at the when the clerk, the Not night man, clean up that. Can That's we talk about the clerk, the night manager? Let's talk about yeah. the night manager. He's he's the most oh, interesting oh. character in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm absolutely fascinated by this guy. I'm like, why are you so jumpy? Why are you, you so doing? weird? Like, what have you seen? What is be going on Do you here? Know? Is there ghosts outside? Like, is this place haunted? <laughs> What's going on? Because he's simultaneously seems to be afraid of everything and know absolutely nothing it's just he's, the like, guy is making a lot of strong the choices volume and, and on the weird radio thing that apparently plays in all of the rooms which is very yeah, which annoying is really weird I yeah, that, yeah. I and, so and eating some sandwiches i'm like i like if maybe there was more of him i feel like i might have connected with this more. well he this is this is the actor um dennis weaver dennis weaver yep he was the, also doing gunsmoke no, at the same time as well no way, that's gas. but he um the thing is, he actually developed that character with Janet Lee during the rehearsal phase. A lot of that was improvised, and himself and Orson Welles came up with this whole big backstory about how he was kind of like, he was at once voyeuristic, but had been raised by a mother who had raised him to be very anti-sex, very anti-like premarital Gee, sex. Really, like, Dirty Norman Bates here. That's it exactly. Dirty Norman Bates, like Dirty little boy. Yeah, yeah that's it exactly. The, like, and and he runs like this edge of the desert motel where people would presume they'd be going, and that's why he won't change the sheets. It's not appropriate. He won't change this, the sheets. Um, and like I love that Wells puritanical. Yeah, that Wells sort of wove this into the backstory of this of this minor character who appears in like a handful of scenes. Yeah. This is pre psycho, right? Yeah, that's exactly. It's so strange because, like, Janelle's in the car, and your man um, uh, uh, says um, says to Janelle, "It's okay. It's very quiet here around this time. You'll be the only one there." And Uncle Joe, like, kind of laughs, and um, and I, I was thinking, like. 
like it's like this character has seen Psycho and is like good Psycho reference. <laughs> but, but, uh, Psycho but he, wouldn't exist for another two years. Yeah, yeah. Which it is. It is remarkable because it has that same sort of weird it. energy. Yeah, Strange. that guy's performance is—it's almost like a rip-off of Norman Bates. Like, <laughs> and also, and it, the reason I was asking is he's super handsome is because he looks like a handsome guy who's been like, like, trying does. to look weird, yeah. and it's yeah. so crap. Like I just—I <laughs> just wish. And you say better. so crap. I just thought it was crap. I just thought I he was weird. I love <laughs> like, like and the weird like sort of like sitcom style thing where he's looking in the window and she's looking yeah. at the door yeah. and stuff. And <laughs> I love that. I was, I kind of like I admire the I, fact that it feels like a completely different movie while that's happening. I thought yeah. it was a really weird tone in the movie because a lot of that Janet Lee stuff was kind of uh, funny and then you're like and then it's and then it's not, it's not. because it's <laughs> yeah, terrifying yeah, yeah. and and it, like like there yeah there is a kind of a um he's sort of a sitcom sort of or mm-hmm. a, 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 a he's like, like he roger the from window. Yeah. Yeah. tamara he's, are, are your man from clarissa explains it all yeah he's yeah. the neighbor <laughs> in in your favorite sitcom it's yeah. like somebody's in their house doing something and he sticks his head by the window it's like oh hey you're doing like something. wilson in yeah. home improvement allow me yeah. to insert yeah. myself into this situation and it's really weirdly yeah. and it's <laughs> strange as well because like earlier in the thing there there's there, there's there's this kind of like well, you, the exchange between um uh, between mrs vargas um and 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 um and she makes it clear in the movie that her name is mrs vargas um but the that that's um the the exchange between her and joe and the 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 greasers is kind of like they have like this kind of um she is like all of these kind of witty kind of like uh, comebacks, uh, and, comebacks and 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 stuff mm. with them and there's also the kind of level of comedy where it's like what is like where 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 they say like um oh um do you want to come uh this way and she says oh what do i have to lose yeah. like like it's it, yeah. it, like what it, could possibly go wrong what here? could possibly go wrong here sure why not and yeah. it's kind of like it, it's almost like a, the movie is being kind of um uh, uh dramatically ironic or yeah or, yeah it is weird and like i think the the way they choose to play her is that like she is She's quite sassy at the start. And when she's yeah. talking to the guys in the hotel, she's not taking any of their crap. No. But then they kind of just, I mean, narratively choose to take away her agency completely. I just don't, it's, a, it's strange why they would set her up. Is it just to justify that she's not just a nothing character or something? But they set her up as really strong. And then what happens to her is so beyond... The pale. And then her, she... Yeah. Her help, and then her, her helplessness just kind of... She's um, just standing there, yeah, going like, "Oh, I feel what? like the, the character from earlier in the movie would have done something. Yeah, <laughs> he climbed out the window and found like a log or something to hit them with. As soon, or tried to. As, soon yeah. as there, yeah, as soon as there was, like, as soon as she had been woken up, she would have, she would have done something about yeah. about it. I think she like she, have. she, yeah. she would, she would have went over to the to the night manager. She would have went over to those greasers. She would have like kind of been standing there even if they continued to yeah. kind of like party she would be like oh no no I'm not finished with you and, um, <laughs> yeah, and it's like and, and, and did you and, have their mixed party yeah yeah, yeah. And, and my and, favorite and by the way the my husband will have something to say about this he's 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 almost uh, uh, in the cabinet there in the Mexican government important. yeah very um important. so and, and um and I, I this 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 movie like all the kind of Janet Lee and uh, Marlene Dietrich and Chaz Gabor's in this too. Yeah, and it very is, brief. It had the, the, um, you uh, very brief, but and and also um, 
Apparently, Dietrich's edition as Tanya was a last-minute thing when Wells was rewriting it as well at the time that he was shooting it. He literally called her up the day before he cast her and wrote the scenes overnight because he figured that Quinlan needed a character that he could bounce off to seem almost sympathetic. Yeah. Um, outside of, obviously, that scene where he talks about what happened to his wife to Pete. Mm. Um, they're, they're sassy characters, but they, they have a, a, a kind of like a, a, a personality it's um of course it's very uh male gazy and of course i appreciate it that because i'm a male they, I, 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 but I, I'm, I'm. Like, well, there is that, like, that they're, they're, shot of Janet Lee in like the little negligee talking yeah, on the phone. Yeah, but it was Austin. completely egregious. Yeah, like just, just, just well, to was, be yeah. like one hundred percent. But like, like, like I was like, I'm glad movies aren't like this anymore. But not? also, well, yeah, I suppose. Fair enough. Um, just bikini shots. I, I was assuming anymore. you were being sarcastic when you said that. <laughs> Well, yeah, actually, sorry. I suppose more what I meant is I'm 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 glad we're aware of of, 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 the, of the of egregiousness the, of, of the egregiousness of it, but also, uh, sorry. Anyway, I, 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 she was just looking fantastic. Come on, she does look fantastic. Yeah, but I feel like the way that that she's written and the way some of the other female characters are written as well, it's a very kind of male idea of empowerment where they can be like sort of sassy and have a bit of gumption when they want them to, but also just suddenly lose all of their autonomy and ability like that well-known trope where like you're a super competent woman who suddenly needs a man to save her yeah absolutely no reason that makes no sense in light of the earlier context of your character yeah where even janet lee and psycho or something yeah she kind of has that like very kind of um independent and sort of like um um, does she she has this sort of like panic like even when she's driving in the car she has this like racked panic sort of anxiety sense of guilt and like she's not sure what she's going to do with the money um she, i suppose like like there's a sense that she, she she's she's having a um well, I suppose we're not talking about okay. <laughs> as much as the the clerk at the the nightman <laughs> name. Yeah. 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 We, we actually already done the psycho episode. Psycho. Um, but yeah, there there is something, and I think that's entirely right. Particularly at the climax of the film, where the where Mrs. Vargas just drops off the radar completely. There's yeah. a again, like, and and this will be a nice sort of dovetail to talk about like the use of space and like the long takes that Wells does. But like, there's the scene where she's out on the balcony shouting and mm. screaming in like in <laughs> and like everyone just waves at and her. everyone just waves at her. But her husband is driving the car. He's driving ignores through her. the crowd, yeah. and he completely ignores her to go into a bar where he can beat up a bunch of these teddy <laughs> boys. Yeah. And he's like, uh, "I'm speaking as her husband yeah. now, not, a, not as a police yeah. officer." Um, but he's speaking as a neglectful husband yeah. who isn't who doesn't want to find but her he's so neglectful he wants to beat up these guys that's yeah. it he's so neglectful he drove past her to indulge yeah. his righteous anger and vengeance yeah, yeah. Like um, Brian Atwood <laughs> sorry Brian Atwood I said Ryan Atwood from the OC ah, ah. sorry oh, Ryan <laughs> oh sorry this is that's not that podcast either so. yeah, it's okay on. we can all agree no, that ryan is off i was just thinking who was i like, thinking about this recently and i was like it was ryan atwood anyway move is along. he the no, gentleman no, we... who yelled at the child in the store no that's seth cohen who was absolute second nightmare there are lots of awful seth people cohen. in the oc but actually yeah, in terms of the oc because everyone's awful in the oc but i do yeah. like seth i cohen. like ryan but ryan is so troubled oh he's so, he's so, so annoying he's so 
Okay. I did like we the theme We should have a tune. podcast yes. about this. Yeah. We'll talk yeah. about this episode by episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we can talk so, about it in so far as it relates. I like the connection, the overlap between the OC and Touch of Evil is that people are generally awful in both. Yeah. Um, but Vargas, Vargas is, because Vargas like completely drives past her. But one of the things I like about Touch of Evil is the sense of space. And that's obviously where you get the big opening tracking shot, which famously one of the changes that was made uh, between the original release and this is that Wells cut or wanted the credits cut from the opening sequence so there was no distraction and the ambient music as well but what wells does repeatedly that i think is very clever and i really like is he creates a sense of physical space Mm -hmm. in terms of the camera movements and stuff like that he creates a sense of the town as a place that people move through and how they connect to one another and actually really exist which is why you get these weird moments where characters like the introduction of the sequence where the teddy boy is voyeuristically staring into Janet Lee's yeah. hotel room, like that opens with a shot of her husband walking to show you that he's still within walking distance of the hotel while yeah. all of this is happening. That sort of thing, which I actually really, really admire. I like the idea that like the border is so porous that the camera itself can cross it like without being too, any yeah. deal, without yeah. being, it being any big deal. I mean, famously, the take took it took eight takes, I think, to do that impressive one take, which is actually relatively short. But apparently the reason for most of those retakes was the guy who has one line um, at the border crossing who apparently couldn't remember his one line which is like are you where are you from miss I think it's the line which is not a particularly complicated line Um, but Wells apparently when they were doing the final take said look if you can't remember what your line is just move your lips and we will dub it in post Um, don't turn to the camera and say what's my line Mr. Wells again Uh-huh. Wouldn't you hate to be that guy? Orson Welles' big fancy <laughs> well, shot. Like, that Orson Welles can't fear. really talk. <laughs> you've seen all the takes he does That's for that Paul Masson wine commercial. <laughs> Doesn't mean he wouldn't flat out murder you for <laughs> the shot. Like, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like Orson Welles wasn't directing that commercial, crucially. <laughs> I feel like it would have been a much more exacting sort of thing. But I, I love this idea of space as it exists and the idea where everything is so interconnected and interlocked and like watching touch of evil and it's it's right about like institutional corruption the stuff that you talked about where everything is literally connected to everything else where vargas like has a conversation very briefly with the man before his car blows up yeah and they just happen to be crossing the border at the same time by sheer coincidence and everybody just happens to get drawn into it because they're people who live in like a relatively confined geographic area where this thing is happening. I really sort of like that aspect of the film. I really like, and particularly Wells' use of long takes to underscore that, because there is a sense that when you're doing long takes that can be very showy, and you're, to a sense, doing them for the sake of doing them. Yeah. I didn't like the shot of the car blowing up. Oh, the cutaway. <laughs> yeah, it you, cuts away, it's like... <laughs> it kind of goes up and down like like they they drove away and then like into like the middle of the field it's like they're not on a road road anymore <laughs> i suppose maybe they've gone somewhere a little bit more secluded and it's like now where so, we were we were we very boom. secluded yeah. but still with an obvious yeah. like yeah yes. well he still wants people to know that like i love the idea he's I love, with one of his girlfriends nothing to see here people i love the yeah. idea that they went over to the american side of the border to be really creepy yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, which again yeah, yeah. is one of the key themes of Touch of Evil is that it's the Mexican side of the border is perfectly fine yeah. all the funky stuff happens on the American side all the side. cops are on the Mexican <laughs> side, side. Yeah. Yeah. everything's perfectly reasonable nice hotels <laughs> yeah People who cook good chili, apparently. Yeah, Actually, they, like it's all very kind of hills of eyes out, out in the Amer- <laughs> American side. side. Yeah. Yeah, is, yeah, right down to like even the motel clerks are kind of creepy in this voyeuristic sort of way that prefigures yeah. the cycle yeah. as well. 
Um, like he's supposed to be the guy, the 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 okay guy. Oh, involved yeah. in the motel. Like, yeah, the he, most innocent person at the motel is <laughs> yeah. the night clerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the one who isn't um, involved a, in some sort of crazy reefer scheme. Yeah, or yeah. mixed parties. <laughs> Um, I like have a sandwich. I like the uh, he has a lunchbox. The poor guy. <laughs> they just launched on him when he showed up with his little lunchbox and flask, and it's like, oh god, just leave him alone. Stop picking on him. Go back to menacing the woman in Gavin Seven. <laughs> I do think they should have stopped picking on him, uh, but also <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed. He's, nerves. Like, he's a complete nervous wreck. I enjoyed the one guy who was picking on him who was like one of the henchmen who was kind of like going up and down and you could see him oh, they, and, and, and the clerk was the, the night man was bouncing yeah, as well yeah. while and talking he was to like him. eat your lunch <laughs> um, it's like I, I brought my lunch and it's like eat it now and, and he was like bouncing up and down there, and then there was the scene when uh, when they all came into into uh, Janet Lee's room and he's still moving and he's still moving yeah. around and then he's like wiping his like mouth his and stuff which he's not allowed to take because they're a very oh, yeah, professional organisation yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to see more of that guy because he was like really kind I, of uh, deranged and... I quite liked Brando sort of like off brand Brando Teddy Boy um, where it's the really the 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 one who's described as uh, good looking yes yes the one who's like who's like who's like we're not just going to like do this horrible thing we're going to have a great deal of fun for the amusement of the camera as well yeah like I really love the reveal where he picks up the phone and then turns to the camera as if to say ah look who it is it's it's off Brando Brando but um, also even the little thing where he's like oh don't worry nobody will disturb you and you're waiting for the cut back to her to go that's a very strange delivery of that sentiment it kind of makes me feel a little ominous he said that very seriously He's really good. Like he's the guy who should be in charge. Yeah. And they, they like when... poor Joe with his rug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Joe's a mess. Maybe he got in charge at the yeah. end. Did Joe really deserve to be horribly murdered like that? Um, I mean, does anyone deserve yeah, I mean, to be horribly murdered? I just feel like he had a lot of issues. He did. <laughs> That's he was a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want anyone to get murdered. Yeah, the no, actual I mean, murder seemed a little excessive. It was I horrible. Think, oh yeah, was yeah. Yeah. with the dangling of the tongue. Pretty, I, pretty and I love Orson Welles' like cinematic foreshadowing. Like, so for example, you have Quinlan losing his cane earlier on, like absent-mindedly oh, yeah. leaving his cane behind, which sets up the idea that he would absent-mindedly leave his cane dangling at the crime scene. But I also love that in the first scene between Joe and uh, Mrs. Vargas, he sort of teases her at the end by sticking out his tongue at her. <laughs> and it's like, I'm... Wells is like, well, how can I make this come around in the third act? Yeah, I feel like um, Hank's kind of decision was to kill Joe was 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 on the basis of um, I don't want to to be corrupted any further or by to this be guy. indebted by Joe yeah, or to, to, to this guy. I don't want this relationship <laughs> to continue any um, further. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've. Um, I, I've 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 been I've been a bit kind of like um, uh, poisoned already by it, and uh, and and, <laughs> and I think, only I, thing I, to I think do. he's kind of like this person is terrible. I don't think he'll particularly be missed. I'll 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 I'll, like I'll just kill him. You on this one. Oh yeah, no, he is, but uh, but I. I <laughs> I don't think I don't think Hank Joe's a problem solver. I don't think Hank sees any value in him, and I think he also associates Joe with um, uh, 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 putting him 
um, back um, on, in, the hooch. On, on the hooch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love um, the idea that this is so just a really bitter... The psychology here would be like, you can't be made do anything that you weren't at least tempted to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. yeah. Oh, no, but no, he, we're not blaming Joe for this. I, this is entirely... No, I think Hank is blaming Joe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. no, yeah. But... but and Yeah. Um, is it also worth very briefly discussing the um, the technology in the film? Because there's something very interesting in this idea, and it ties back into the idea of border towns, where there's this idea that maybe the ground is shrinking out from Quinlan, that like he's sort of out of place, um, that he's been able to survive in the border town because the border town area is lawless mm. and it's sort of like unkempt and it's a liminal space and everything's between, you can cross over and there's blurred lines and stuff. But this idea that maybe as industrialization technology catches up to him. And like, there's a point where he goes and visits Tanya and Tanya's like, Hey, the, um, we have a television now, for example. Mm. And you know, the, the technology that plays the, the, the piano is so old. It's so new. It's old again, or so old. It's new again. Um, but even things like he's caught using a wiretap and you have like Vargas saying that he hates this machine and like the walking, uh, you know, the spying. Enormous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I I can see why you hate it. It's really impractical. Yeah. You have to carry around the person and you can't mute it or anything. Yeah. yeah, You have to be close to them, but it plays it out loud. It's like, this is the stupidest technology (laughs) ever made. Doesn't it have like a head, uh, sort of like a headphone jack in there or something Mm. like that? I love the idea of Vargas just wandering around with headphones in the Rio Grande. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to keep it out of the water. Yeah, But I mean, there is, um, and even stuff like where Tanya talks to him, where he's like, tell my future. And she's like, you have no future. Your future's all used up. But is there, like, I like this idea that maybe like Quinlan's future is running out. And like the fact that he dies in this surrounded by these oil wells. And you have that monologue that Andrew mentioned, not even monologue, but that speech, that little sort of observation he makes where he's talking, where you have the shot of the oil well going up and down. But this idea that maybe things are changing and something's happening and Quinlan can no longer sort of keep his head above water, metaphorically speaking. Mm. And maybe there is a state of transition. That's kind of... Um, yeah. And I think he, he sees, he still sees things coming. He still has his intuition. It feels like it's been deadened somewhat like by, by, because he knows, um, he almost, he almost exposes his, his partner's wire at the very beginning. Yeah. Because he's like, it, it, it's, there's a it's, really wonderful thing yeah, where it's like, it's like, so that you're, thing you're wearing, oh yeah, you're, yeah, you're wearing, what is it called again? And uh, <laughs> like, it's almost like a sharper, um, uh, Quinlan. what a Quinlan would have, would have, would have like, looked at uh, Pete's profusely sweating reaction, come to it. Yeah. Like Absolutely that. no game face whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, well, what is it called? Uh, Halo. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Now turn around so I can strangle you with this silk stocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I do sort of, I find that interesting and the idea that it ties into, because you have a lot of these like California set film noirs where you have this interest in like the region's development that is like tied to obviously in Chinatown, it's the water and stuff like that. But like there's also the oil and the drilling for oil mm. are in California and in Texas and places like that where you have like the two Jakes, for example, is based around the oil rush in the 50s. Mm. And I kind of wonder if that's maybe like a reflection that... Quinlan represents a very old style of corruption and moral mm-hmm. decay. It's sort of like a, a gargantuan sort of like barely even hiding it. Like there's a point when Vargas points out what he's doing. He's like, oh, go tell everybody. It's yeah. fine. Do your, do your thing. That 
nobody's gonna really care uh whereas like vargas perhaps represents a sort of a, a newer breed of like he's so convinced of himself of what he's doing that he's i a... i love sanchez's sense of humor because he's like oh, yeah. sure sure i took the dynamite and i blew them up of course oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you just confessed <laughs> don't yeah. don't write that down yeah and the fact that he actually did it as yeah. well <laughs> <laughs> I love Andrew's like double bluff there. Yeah. It's like um, I wonder if that happens if you confess, but you're very clearly sarcastic yeah. while doing it. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I totally yeah. stabbed the like, guy fifteen times. He's like, "Didn't you hear Vargas? I did it. I killed them both." <laughs> I love that. That's maybe yeah. what Al's reporting. It's like that. You know, he says he confessed, didn't say anything about an attitude. It's uh, like, don't confess before I punch you around a bit first. Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes it a whole lot less Stop what satisfying. you're doing. <laughs> right now. Yeah, um, while I work a confession out of you. <laughs> Quinlan very disappointed at how this thing's going. I don't even get to beat up a, you know, a young man. I don't get the satisfaction. Kids these days. Yeah, they just get straight to the confession. I love the guys like, are we going straight to the hose? And, and Quinlan's like, no, straight to gut punch. Because um, you can hear it off screen as well. He's like... Uh, it kind of rough people up in the face. I prefer to do it like thump. Yeah. And that old sort of like style. I love that sort of 50s style, yeah. like Foley sound of like somebody punching a bag of wheat. Yes. Yes. Um, but is there anything else we want to talk about with regards to Touch of Evil? Anything we haven't discussed already that we may have missed? Uh, Mancini's score is fantastic. I absolutely mm. love the sort of blurring of like American style jazz with yeah. like Mexican style sort of ambient uh, sort of like guitar music and stuff like that. It's really cool, and I I like um, I like how it's used quite sparingly, and it's like you know it's it's kind of dotted throughout. But I think going back to kind of the use of sound and the use of music in the film, I think the music in all of its incarnations that they use because they do merge the like Mexican music and American music. Um, I think it's such a huge character in the film and I think it gives that sense of place which I think in a film noir it, they tend to be like generally set in California or whatever yeah. or New York or whatever but um, that sense of a a really small place is really interesting and from the opening shot where they were just driving down the street and driving around a corner and you're seeing all the different people and they're coming out of bars and they're going across here and they're doing all that and the music blaring and the music coming in and out is just I just think it's such a, an amazing character in the film. Yeah. And I mean, obviously sound is quite an important thing in general in the film, but the music's great. There's actually a quote from here where one of Wells' stated intentions for Touch of Evil was to create, and I quote, a tour de force in the rather sadly neglected dimension of the soundtrack. And I think he sort of does that. Yeah, hmm. definitely. I, I quite like the bar fight as well. It, oh, wasn't, it, wasn't, oh, yeah. it wasn't perfect because <laughs> I, I, I um, as he was pushing him towards the uh, jukebox I thought like he's going to push him towards the jukebox and like the move there is to push him towards the jukebox and break the jukebox and head. stop music but, the, but there was an edit and then it cut back and then smashed yeah where, where they had obviously kind of you know they broken the jukebox set up once. the prop yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, and I then, mean, we can't afford several jukeboxes yeah. on this yeah. we have then, to wheel the jukebox from one bar set to another for this film <laughs> and then the guy um, who had thrown acid on him earlier sees him he sees the guy with yeah. the acid runs after him Picks him up. Yeah, with yeah. one hand. <laughs> with one hand. <laughs> Amazing. And then the, like he knocks the bar over yeah. with him as That's well. That's the, prob- yeah. the problem with that scene. Charlton the bar Heston. is made of cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. The, or Charlton Heston is just made of. Yeah. Charlton. No, that, that's. That, I, well, maybe maybe bars weren't made uh, very well back then. From but Andrew's I, I suspect, personal experience I suspect, in bar fights. I suspect they were made better back then, probably more sturdy. Unless it's a I kind of like bar a. I were more commonplace. <laughs> A, a, a 
balsa kind of um, uh, 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 bar where where it just kind of like falls over like it's made of um, uh, just a uh, prop MDF or something. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was one problem I had with the with 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 the bar scene scene that was was. Was that the bar itself wasn't very sturdy? I love that the guy flips the guy over. Yes, because he jumped on his back, flips him over, and just like bang. I thought Charlton Heston delivered on that. I feel like (laughs) I love love that we've been harsh on Charlton Heston. Exactly. No, I I feel like the things that Charlton has he's very like kind of physically impressive. I'd say he's probably like he's trying to run. Yeah, he does play like Tom Cruise style. That's that's why any time he has to chase somebody, he should just jump on a horse. (laughs) (laughs) That happens to be conveniently nearby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There is a lot. There is a lot of chasing. Again, that's in keeping with the idea of the space being sort of small and physical. Looks well driving a car as well. He does look well in it. I mean, uh, yeah, and then those shots are fantastic, particularly like there's a really, and it's it's a simple thing. And the guy yeah, um, with Al, where they're yeah. talking about like after que- he's called Quinlan. I thought and, Al was great, by the way. Yeah, you normally do that on like reverse projection and stuff like that, but Wells mm. clearly did that on location, so it's just Charlton Heston driving through a scummy back alley, <laughs> but it looks absolutely beautiful. It does look really cool. Um, and then you get the shot of him driving off towards the oil wells, which is apparently where police headquarters is based. I don't know. Why it, not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. It yeah. just it it does. Because it's the scuzziest part of town. Yeah, yeah. clearly yeah. it's in oil derelict district. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did think um, going back to Charlton Heston and his being a Mexican. Um, generally, like I thought, he just looked like darker-haired Charlton Heston, except that scene where he's in the car with his wife, and he just—I was like, I would do anything to see that in color. <laughs> like all the bronzer. What yeah. orangeness is going on on that face? <laughs> Because, like, I didn't, I genuinely didn't notice it, like, throughout the film. I just thought he looked like he had darker hair or whatever. But he's sitting beside Janet Lee, And you're just like, holy... She's like, porcelain doll. And he is just some kind of colour that I wish I could see. Because it's obviously... Yeah, I mean, I it, it was shot in black and white, so they, had, they had to do it in purple. Um, well, yeah, no, like, I'd to get the proper to see that colour. Was, like, was there an extent to which I wonder the studios thought that, like, Charlton Heston is an actor who can play lots of... Uh, different ethnicities <laughs> like an Anthony Quinn he's where, got that sort like, of versatility Anthony Quinn is like we need a Turk for this movie um, <laughs> Guns of Navarone is Anthony Quinn free we need a we need a Zorba to be Zorba the Greek <laughs> is, uh, um, is, is Anthony Quinn Greek I think so Probably. Quinn's a Greek name right indeterminate yeah we need like a Mexican works. or an Argentinian to, to own this winery in, in, in the clouds and yeah, there, 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 there's. Um, did the studios think that Charlton Heston was the most American-looking man part ever? Like, part of me yeah, very much suspects that it was quite actually is Charlton Heston free? He, was the question yeah, here? He wasn't playing an American and Ben Hur either. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the idea. Like, but to be fair, again, this is the difference between. I, I want to say this is the difference between modern Hollywood, but we also have like Scarlett Johansson starring Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. But still, I, you know, one of those things where I just like this idea of a Hollywood map of the world where it's just pictures of Charlton Heston's face on, sub, <laughs> on like sub-Saharan Africa, Middle East, Far East. Was it Genghis Khan played by John Wayne is one of my oh, personal my favorite God. monstrosities. Oh, day. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we won't be quite covering that one. No, but not I, on the top two. Not on the top 250, <laughs> or unfortunately. The bottom no, or the bottom 100, okay. surprisingly enough. Exactly. But it is, yeah, I, I love the idea of Heston as a Mexican. If And to be fair, I like that Wells understands what he... 
As much as this is a bad idea to start with, I like that Wells understands that he can't push it much further and he's yeah. not like, he's also, don't do an accent. Yeah. Dear God, don't do an accent. Yeah, because he's also a very American. What, really? <laughs> I feel like Charlene... No, but I mean, no, I mean like, I, it doesn't kind of get that's part into of his character. That, like, it's a sort of bizarrely... He's... he's not he's, he's, he's just, meant he's to be like one of those well-to-do kind of moneyed families where he would have been he sent is. to school and stuff. Yeah. Where he's yeah. so proud to learn to they speak with an accent. We bought his suits and his jeans there. Is there a sense of which like he will defend Mexico because Mexico for him is kind of where he's from and where he's from is a very kind of a well-to-do um, background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the the Mexico that she's talking about are the kind of drug lords that he's kind of uh, chasing. All chasing. The time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, and now I'm imagining like Touch of Evil, but like Sicario mm-hmm. with, with Charlton Heston's yeah. character why, Vargas in there. That's why he has like the, the, the like why, why oh, uh, Hank says, you, you, you don't, you don't sound, you don't sound like one of them is like what he says yeah. because he, he, he's like, I suppose, um, um, thinks that like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't have to sound or behave the way you you expect yeah, me you to. Expect yeah. I'm not going to live down to that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, there is a sense repeatedly throughout the movie where he does defend like uh, very, Mexico. Very well educated. Yeah, yeah and he does yeah. defend Mexico repeatedly to his wife and to, to Hank and to yeah. various other characters. Is there anything it else? Gets want... across her kind of prejudice. Yeah, yeah. and also Quinlan's prejudice. Yeah, which, yeah. Um, is he prejudiced? <laughs> was he really um, is this one of those Dirty Harry defences he hates everybody yeah, so, he, so he can't be racist what, yeah Charles Bukowski said that like he doesn't particularly hate women in fact he hates men a lot more mm-hmm. um, that like any any criticism of him as a misogynist is like no I'm just a a misanthrope yeah yeah. anyway I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> to be clear Andrew not defending um, <laughs> yeah is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to the film Anything we haven't discussed already? Anything we've glossed over? Yes, but um, the, the, but I can't think of any. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll think of them later. Exactly. Perfect. I think then the only thing left to do is to pick the movie that we're going to talk about next week. So I'm going to fire up the random number generator. Beep, boop, 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 boop. So, uh, number Char- generator. Twist, twist, twist. So Charlene or Grace, would you like to pick the movie that we're covering next week? Uh, which Which... It's number 12, right. which is... Forrest Gump. So we're going to talk about Forrest Gump next week. It's Forrest Gump number 12. <laughs> I, I love how Charlene's just like... <laughs> Touch of Evil being 241 is a big deal, not quite yeah. getting over it, but uh, Forrest Gump being... It's a little rough now, in fairness. I feel like, you know, it's sort <laughs> well, of you inverted... Well, you picked it. You picked it. It's your fault. <laughs> yeah. If you inverted the 250, you'd probably get maybe a slightly more balanced and not necessarily fair <laughs> distribution of, of quality. I love the I love the idea of bumping. They love the nineties. They really do. Well, that that's why it is where it is because this is well, I think this is the people who are on the internet, right? Yes, yeah. so. <laughs> who are perfectly of age. So, do you want to watch the trailer for Forrest Gump? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Charlene. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Would you like a chocolate? Oh, thank you. It's funny what a young man recollects. You're the same as everybody else. You are no different. Your boy's different. Are you stupid or something? I'm as stupid as a stupid does. I'm Jenny. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. She was my most special friend. My only friend. We was together all the time. We were like peas and carrots, Jenny and I. Run, Forrest! Hey, stupid! Run! 
believe it if I told you, but I can run like the wind blows. Who in the hell is that? That there's false Gump, Coach. Just a local idiot. I never thought it would take me anywhere. David put me on a thing called the All-America Team. Well, you get to meet the President of the United States. Congratulations. How does it feel to be an All-American? I got a pay. <laughs> I believe he said he had to go pee. Now, maybe it's just me, but college was very confusing times. Have you ever been with a girl, Forrest? sit next to them in my home economics class all the time. Have you given any thought to your future? God, what's your sole purpose in this army? To do whatever you tell me, drill sergeant? You're a damn genius. You are going to be a general someday, go. Yes, drill sergeant! They sent me to Vietnam. Listen, you promise me something, okay? If you're ever in trouble, don't try to be brave. You just run, okay? Okay. Where are you boys from in the world? Alabama, sir. You twins? No, we are not relations. So. For some reason, what I was doing seemed to make sense to people. Forget about me! Get yourself out! I've been awarded the Medal of Honor. How come? Now, my mama's always telling me how miracles happen every day. <laughs> some people don't think so. Jenny! But they do. <laughs> you can come home with me at my house in Greenbow. I'll take care of you. Why are you so good to me? You're my girl. Paramount Pictures presents... Tom Hanks. I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. Robin Wright. Will you marry me? I'd make a good husband, Jenny. You would, Forrest. But you won't marry me. Gary Sinise. I never thanked you for saving my life. And Sally Field. My boy Forrest is gonna get the same opportunities as everyone else. A film by Robert Zemeckis. What's my destiny, Mom? You're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. seem the same once you've seen it through the eyes of Forrest Gump. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. Dear God, so that was a that terrible trailer. We, we, we don't no. need to watch the movie next week because no, I feel like yes, we already don't. have. There were like, numerous problems with that trailer. Number one, <laughs> it, w it was like far too long. It tells you everything, it's everything, everything long, in, yeah. in, in, it's in the movie. It's four minutes long. Yeah, it's also, three minutes, like, seconds. It seems like they did the trailer before they got clearing for all of the great <laughs> music they used. Yeah. In the, so they just like the, used the most schmaltzy, kind of generic trailer. Have you guys ever seen the Dominic trailer? Trailer, the um, Oscar, the award-winning movie trailer. I yes, yeah. it's the the, the, the lever trailer. Yeah. yeah, it's the same same people who did um, uh, next time on Lonnie. 
I don't know. Um, I, I believe it is. That's probably too hip a reference for me to get. <laughs> um, but they, they do the standard sort of like uh, movie it's the same exact music. And they music. use the exact same music to do it because it is literally like inspirational yeah. music. And yeah. they, they've also taken a... They, they, they've, they've released the trailer before they've um, sped up the sequences where in, he's running. in which uh, yeah. Forrest yeah, yeah. runs. So if I you watch... Like, the score for Forrest Gump is one of the best things about Forrest Gump. Yeah. It's not... They, like, use that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Not even that's what I mean. Like they, it's Especially like they, it's like they hadn't got the clearing yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Lord. very, very, very strange. And I mean, and again, it's it seems like, and part of me wonders if it was designed so that there would be absolutely nothing threatening in Forrest mm-hmm. Gump for people. Yeah, like but you never it, want people. That's how it sort of ends up paradoxically quite high in the two fifty because we had this conversation before about the Shawshank Redemption and how it's not a movie that anyone will really go to bat for. I mean, like it's grand it's not grand but nobody is particularly impassioned about it which is how it ends up sitting at the top yeah nobody's like <laughs> it stands vanquished over, over the nope. murdered corpses yeah. of god father nope. like, literally and dark nope. being like this is the best movie ever so i'm like no nobody's like, like nobody i hate tom much. hanks yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. They, from the movie <laughs> studio that brought you movies. Gump. I don't hate Forrest Gump, but I just kind I don't of hate Forrest thought Gump. people no. did. I, I've Forrest learned Gump. from that trailer that I apparently have not seen Forrest Gump since I was about seven because I don't remember anything well luckily we just watched the trailer that will will bring back absolutely everything because most of the movies in there and in order as well which i quite like it's like it's like you guys understand the purpose of a trailer yeah it's to make a shorter version of the movie right i see what they were taking the piss out of in the second hot shots because there are all these scenes in the boat i'm like what's this from oh yeah So don't join us next week. Because you've already heard most <laughs> yeah, of the movie. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, guys, um, if there's if there's something in the world that makes you happy, you'd like to draw attention to, something you'd like to plug, something you'd like to point our listeners towards that you enjoy, what would that be? So, Andrew, I'll ask you to go first, since just give Charlene and Grace a bit of time to think about that. Like anything oh. at all. Anything feel, at all. I feel like Anything I... you're enjoying. Anything that you feel like listeners might benefit from. I feel like I plugged it recently, but I think um, Mission to Zix continues to be quite good and is um, is uh, still going. It's a um, it's a science fiction um, uh, comedy uh, improvised uh, podcast. I think it's it's some of the people kind of based out of New York. They 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 they're 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 a. Um, um, there, it's the adventures of a um, uh, rebel uh, emissary, uh, Plek Dexeter, and his uh, intrepid team. They right. they recent they recently changed teams, so they're 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 no longer working for the evil Galactic Federation. Okay. Now, now they work for the re- rebellion. In the first yeah. season. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, watch still that. Good? It's okay. uh, still 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 good. Very funny. I I'm I'm not I'm 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 underselling it. But if I told <laughs> if I told you how funny it was, it wouldn't be as funny as if you just watched it. Listen okay. to it. Listen to it. It's a podcast. <laughs> it is an audio yeah. <laughs> uh, So Charlene, is there anything that you'd like to point people towards that you're enjoying at the moment that you'd like to recommend? I wish I thought about this in advance. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'm. I'm re- what about the, <laughs> the podcast where we just throw the lighthouse? Yes. I work there, yes. <laughs> the Hitchcock season that just started. Oh, that's cool. going on till the middle of October. Oh, that'll work. Lord of the Rings Marathon. Yeah. Lord of the... Oh, yeah, you're coming. When yeah. is the Lord of the Rings Marathon? The 29th of oh. September. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably happening right now. <gasps> We're currently really enjoying it. It's yeah. extended yeah, really editions as well. Have you done it before? Yes. It's Both times. so good. Like, 
It's hard work. Is it extended or theatrical? I don't understand. Extended. Yes. I don't I understand. Extended? Yeah. How long is it? With breaks, it's about 14 hours. <laughs> wow. I don't understand when this podcast is coming out. It's episode 89, right? Episode and it's 83. currently May. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, your Hitchcock season has just started and we'll be September. going until, yeah. until yeah. Uh, October. September, October. Yeah. Yeah. We may have had time, to. Time is, time is a construct, man. Time is a yeah. construct. We may have had to re record. Yeah. We tried real hard to get this episode out to a decent time, but we didn't. It's um, the last episode. Yeah, this is one of the lost episodes. We're like Orson Welles. Yeah, well. this is we're, stuff coming this up. This is our 58 page memo, yeah. which we put in in post. Yeah. Um, about, yeah. This is our, yeah, our sort of our other side of the wind. But we may be covering other side of the wind. But Grace, is there anything you'd like to draw people's attention to? Um, the same thing I always draw people's attention to, which is you should watch Wine on Earth, which is on Netflix. And is it on Netflix? Netflix? Yeah, the first season is on Netflix. We'll watch and that. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love the end of it. And I was always like, where did you see that? Okay. It rocked up like literally about, I think, a year and a half after it was on television, but it finally landed on Netflix. They don't have the second season yet, which is kind of a shame because I thought the second season was actually better than okay. the first one. Um, but obviously the more people who are aware of it, the more people watch it, the more seasons we get. So, okay. You know what to do, people. <laughs> Off you go. Excellent. I think it is actually on TV as well, but I cannot feel like me remember the channel okay. over here. We may provide that in the show. Provide notes. that in post. Yes. Yes. We'll fix that in post. That will be we'll item one on the 58 page. <laughs> now. Um, I would like to recommend, I'm currently watching Succession on HBO, which is great oh, yeah, fun. Um, it's, yeah, it's basically, it's, it's from one of the guys who's behind like Veep and the thick of it and stuff like that. Uh, it's not Ainucci himself, but it's, it's... Isn't Adam McKay also involved in it? Yep, yeah, and Will Ferrell are co-producers on it. Uh, but it's got this wonderful cast, including like, um, Kieran Culkin is amazing in it. Um, it's got like Alan Ruck. Everyone loves Alan Ruck. Oh, um, Alan Ruck. I know, no. Brian Cox, Rock. James Cromwell. It's got this fantastic ensemble Is cast. It a half an hour comedy? Uh, no, it, it's an it's an hour long, and it's this weird hybrid like dark comedy drama thing. Okay. It's basically it's almost like a parody of like the anti-hero sort of HBO dramedy thing that that people sort of okay. become so big in that it's it's about these people who are absolutely horrible. But it's, it's, and it's so opulent, it's so wealthy, it's got all these wonderful shots of the skyline, this great cast, mm. it's got this sort of like pr- wonderful production value, but it's shot in the style of those shaky handheld sitcoms where everything is handheld and like they'll zoom in on a character as a reaction shot for emphasis, which is very disconcerting and I kind of love. Where it's like, it's not like, oh, Bob's been using the coffee again. It's yeah. like, oh, remember that time Roman ran the company into massive debt and you get a shot of Kieran Culkin <laughs> and the camera sort of does a shaky <laughs> thing in a zoom and it's like, oh, that's Roman. Um, it's it's very worth watching. It's one of the more interesting television shows that I've seen in the past little while. Um, if people can find you guys online, where can we find you? Um, I guess you can find me on Twitter at Pixie Grace, but I'm taking another break from it because it annoys me. So that, <laughs> with that caveat, by the time this episode's released, though, she me. may be off that break. Exactly. So we're on a break. <laughs> uh, um, you can find me on Twitter, I guess, at Charlene Nighty. O a q u i n n i u q a. Uh, you can follow me at Darren underscore mini the podcast at at the 250 we're available on SoundCloud Stitcher iTunes wherever good podcasts are available Uh, join us next week when we talk about Forrest Gump take it easy guys Bye. bye bye bye